if you can go to jobs and that don't keep you motivated, find another job, find another career, go do something else. Because man, when I'm going to fires, it's like crack cocaine for me. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. I can't believe I'm saying it. Weekly Scrap, number 200. Whenever there is a milestone, it has been a tradition to reach out. Um, He was here for number 100. He was here for number 150, the most watched and listened to scrap of all time. And he is back. For episode 200, Kurt Isaacson is a 30-year veteran of the fire service with experience working in volunteer, career, combination, urban, suburban, rural, you name it, he's worked it. He is a lifetime student of the fire service. He is currently a battalion chief in Escambia County Fire Rescue. He is a highly sought-after educator and speaker. If there is a conference worth going to, man, he will be there. He will be speaking at it. I could go on and on talking about everything this man has done for me personally, for the fire service, uh, but that's not why we're here. People before water, gallons per second, embrace the target, tactics, put out fires. It's worth the risk. It is my honor to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 200. Welcome, my brother, Kurt Isaacson. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited about it. Um, spent this afternoon just going through my notes. You and I talked and you uh, went over some questions with your uh, pretty awesome group you got with Firehouse uh, Vigilance, um, which I think is what the the future needs. The fire service needs smaller select groups um, to build things. So hopefully, um, you know, before we get to 200 minutes, which will put us, I think, at 11.20 p.m., um, we'll be able to hopefully answer most of them. I love it. I love it. I'm going to, Chief, I'm just going to tell you right now, there is already 112 comments in the chat before we've even started. 118. I can't even keep up. Broke it already 49 seconds in. Uh, unbelievable. From Portugal to America, absolutely stoked for this. People are saying, write this down. It's going to be epic. Everybody out there, I can't even begin to grab it. Kyle Romagus is in the chat. He is grabbing. He is here to grab your questions. So get your questions ready for Chief Ike. Um, let's do everything. Is there, first of all, is there anything you want to add to the intro? I always ask the guests, uh, anything you want to add to the intro? No, I'm just a geek for the job, a nerd that loves it. Um, you know, as David Rhodes said in one of his uh, talks at um, FDIC, uh, non-apologetic, you know, about all of that. And, um, you know, we'll get into some of it in the future, some, some harassment I've received growing up in the fire service, but, um, I'm to a point now where it's a little easier to be bold, um, obnoxious uh, about it. You know, there's no apologies for being a buff, loving the job, being a geek, going by firehouses off duty. So I'm loving it. Rock and roll. All right. All right. Let's do the let's do the housekeeping. I'll do everything. Um, audience, get your questions primed and ready. It's going to be a great evening. We're, we're planning. Here's the deal. At 9.30 p.m., ex- approximately 90 minutes from now, we are planning a break. This is the first scrap ever to have a break planned in the middle so you can put your kids to bed so you can take care of business whatever you got to do around the house we're planning a break in the middle of the scrap because we're expecting it um so uh that's the first thing to announce this is we're we're breaking all sorts of precedents here uh quick announcements if you're not a member of the vigilantes be a member of the vigilantes go join five bucks a month 60 bucks a year it's the cool kids club you get to affect 
the future of the scrap, who gets to be on it, the questions, the five questions, etc. Um, let's get to the sponsors, then we get to everything because that let, let's just make it happen. Key Hose, the hose experts. Check them online at keyhose.com and follow them on Facebook. Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Firefighter, owned and operated. Pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The Affordable Standpipe Prop fits through most classroom doorways, so you can do all the standpipe theory, and then you roll it out into the parking lot where you can pump to it. It comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to what you have in your jurisdiction. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Man, one of my favorite people in the fire service, one of my mentors, Chief Scott Thompson, the Functional Fire Company, positioning firefighters for success and survival in the firehouse and on the fire ground, the Functional Fire Company, creating a fire-first preparedness philosophy that allows firefighters to be firefighters. Email scott at fireserviceleadership.com for information or to schedule a class. And finally, RED. Public Safety Equipment is a firefighter and family-owned equipment company located in central Ohio. Red PSE is owned by a set of twin brothers that are absolutely passionate about the job. I've met them both. Awesome dudes. At Red PSE, they are firefighters first and pride themselves in selling equipment that they have firsthand experiences with. Red PSE takes great pride in giving back to the firefighting community with sponsorships and donations to nonprofits and training events. Catch Red PSE at the Ohio Fire Chiefs Conference next week or Firehouse Expo in Columbus in September. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Red PSE and www.redpse.com. And with that, we are officially through the sponsors and ready to kick off. Remember, everybody, 9.30 is the break. So with that's go, yeah, people are already saying, let's go 1,000 1, comments tonight. Let's break the internet. Here we go. Um, no, 100, I, I think that's awesome. Let's make it happen. Uh, break at 9.30. Before we get going, right out the gate, number 200, very special. Uh, I'm, I'm super proud. I am super proud and humbled that we are actually doing episode 200. And we're going... Uh, I'm going to let uh, Chief Ike talk about it. Sam, if you could put up the picture of Trevor Ike, 100%, I want to dedicate it. You you asked for this, and I'm going to give it to you for right now to just dedicate this episode. Just want to dedicate it to, um, you know, Trevor, and just tonight talking about loving the job, being into the job. Um, you know, uh, when um, Jimmy Ellis passed, uh JJ Cassetta was at my house and we got notified and, um, you know, I, I did a little thing that I wrote that night, you know, JJ and I hung out on the dock and we were just thinking about, you know, how awesome Jimmy Ellis is and Trevor is another person that, um, you know, is just on my list that, that feel the lucky ones that I call it to, to be friends with. And one of the pictures that, um, you know, whether it's the muddy river fools or champagne or is posted to Trevor, is him and his Muddy Rivers, uh, you know, front piece helmet. And I actually took that picture when him and I just had a very personal talk. And, um, you know, we don't always, we, we, we don't always know when we're going to talk to somebody for the last time, but I thought might, that might be the last time. Um, you know, you don't, you don't know, but, um, we, we, we shared stuff because, 
Um, he knew what his cancer was. And I asked him, you know, I mean, I'm a blunt person and I just in private um, at FDIC, we were out doing the um, the stretching for success. Fortunate to be under Steve Robertson's, you know, cadre uh, doing the first year. And I just I just asked him, I said, man, well, what are you doing here? You know, your, your wife and kids are at home. And he said, well, you know, it's what I want to do. Like, yeah. And, you know, that's going to be with me forever is a guy that's that's like days are numbered. He knows that there, there's there. It, it's a guarantee. It was to the point where it was a guarantee. And he still came to FDIC to drill, to put on bunker gear and stretch toes. Um, you know, the picture that's on a website for the banner at the airport to um, to let people know, you know, where the baggage claim is and where to catch the shuttle is, is Trevor holding the banner. And, you know, um, you already told me a, a question. You asked me a question earlier when I was driving home with my haircut. One of the questions Rob Fisher asked you um, amongst the group was, what's great about the fire service? I think it's kind of how he worded it, not just negative. I tell you what's great is Trevor's Jimmy, you know, that that's, what's great um, is, you know, not just the people that are here, but the, the people that we're lucky ones, man, like we, we, we get it. And um, when I think about, you know, when I wrote um, the urban legend, the New Yorker, which is just a short article, but you see behind me hanging on the TV is um, my first radio strap that I ever purchased uh, like 28 years ago, I think it was. Nice. Um, and the other question you asked me is like, you know, who's been one of my most impactful persons. And, you know, I say Bill Gustin quite a bit, but since I wasn't put on the spot and I, and I sat down this afternoon, and I thought about it, you know, obviously my dad and Bill Gustin, but, you know, um, next to that would be Pat Grace, uh, you know, who moved here in 1990 from Binghamton, New York. He's in the article, the urban legend, the New Yorker, and um, the fire alarm pool box behind me, uh, he gave me, that's from Binghamton, New York. Um, he gave me the book report from Engine Company uh, 82 that's behind me and his impact on me and the FDNY. And, um, you know, you asked me, you know, what my regret was. And I've never said this, and I don't want to say it's a regret, but more so recently than ever, ever in my life, just recently, you know, I've just wondered, you know, if, you know, what, what would it have been if I just tested with the FDNY, you know? Right. Um, and I have no regrets. You know what I mean, I like, I, I, I've had, you know, I've had it all, um, you know, a shout out to all my brothers at Escambia County Fire Rescue listening tonight. Nothing against any other fire departments in a region, but we are the best. We have the highest probability of going to a job. Um, I had seven box alarms um, last time that I was at work, you know, um, there's nowhere else in the 850 that I'm going to seven box alarms when I'm at work. It's just not going to happen. doesn't make us better, but if you love the job and you want to go to fires, Escambia County Fire Rescue is a place to be it, um, you know, and to do it. So I thought a lot in the last few hours when you asked about my regrets is everybody always wants something bigger and better. And that's okay because we're going to get into staying in your lane. Um, we're going to get into – you know, the fact is, is if 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 you want to do more, not everybody around you is going to want to be on that bus with you to do more because it's intimidating. You know, people are scared to get outside their comfort zone and, you know, people are scared of failure. Um, I asked you earlier if you knew who Ed Milet is. I like I follow him on Instagram, one of the premier speakers 
in the world. And, you know, the day I was watching him and he's like, you got to value yourself. And there's a lot of controversy about what I charge to go somewhere and speak. And I didn't realize it until I was watching Ed Milet and I'm, and I, I follow his thing before I even knew what he said. He said he had two prices. His price with no discount or free. And that's what I do when I go somewhere to speak. It's either free or this is the price. And what that means is, is that I'm not going to pick and choose what the discount is going to be. Either it's going to be free because it's important to me. And I do a lot more free stuff than people realize, um, you know, where, you know, Jess and I fully cover, you know, the travel, the hotel, uh, everything. So it's not just about making money, but you do have to make a living if you're, if that's what you're choosing your, um, you know, side job to be. So at the end of the day, I would say more so um, just recently, I always wonder what it would like to be to be in a bigger pond. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't want to change what I've said in the past, but we have people that have listened to all of them in the past. You know, my dad was right. I'm not saying he was wrong. My dad always said, you only ride one fire truck at a time. And, you know, I worked at the city of Mary Esther was my first paid job. Didn't work there very long, but it was still very impactful. It's kind of like doing an internship. You could do an internship and the impact of it could be huge. And it's impact, you know, it was my first full-time paid job. Uh, it was only like 14,000 a year, but, um, was, you know, impactful. It's only one fire truck, but, you know, now that I'm getting later in my career and, you know, we talk about changing hose loads, like, you know, it comes up in our staff meeting about changing hose loads and it's come up numerous times and the firefighters that want to change the hose load, if it was just them, we'd change immediately because they deserve it. We should give it to them because they're going to get it done. And the reality is they could stretch any load um, because they're into the job and because if you're asking for a different hose load, then obviously you care and you're into the job. But the problem is we have to, to make it work for everybody, every shift, every watch, every battalion. And for us, you know, we're not talking about two or three stations that we're going to have to train. We're talking about, you know, almost two dozen stations countywide. And, you know, that's a key factor. So, um, you know, I, I would say lately as a whole you know, I've evaluated where I'm going to go in the future, and I'm definitely mentally, psychologically more committed to Escambia County Fire Rescue right now than I've possibly ever been. Um, I'm obviously not going to be there like I was in the first few years. I was putting in, you know, crazy hours as a whole, but I'm doing it because I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere right. else. I want to make the most of what is the largest, busiest fire department in our area code, zip code, you know, our region. Um, and so I guess what I'm doing is I'm trying to value that I, you know, that I, that I can't have any regrets because I have it, we have it on a patch. It's on a sticker. It says live without right. regret. So I kind of made that convoluted and complicated, but I wanted to answer the question because it is important for younger viewers. So I do want to say this because I never have an answer. And I get, man, I've had, I can't tell you how many people email me, text me, message me on Facebook. If you're a younger firefighter and you don't have a crazy amount of years investing, remember I walked away from nine years with the Pensacola fire department, nine years. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, like if I stayed, I'd be very close to like being out of the drop program. So, um, and could still do another career. And I, I don't regret that man. Pensacola was awesome. Um, you know, getting to work at a fire station with 17 people rolling out of one firehouse, two brass poles, 14, beds in one room, the other three 
you know, rooms were house captain, watch captain, um, battalion chief. But as a whole, if you're a younger firefighter and, and nothing against it, man, suburban America makes up the fire service. Yes. But if you're positive long-term, long-term, you're going to stay obsessed with the fire service. It's going to be your life. Your, your side job's not going to be, you know, selling T-shirts, cutting grass, building houses, you know, building fences, um, laying tile, because every firefighter should and needs a side job um, as a whole. I, I think there's, that's a, a phenomenal thing, especially having two kids in college. But if you're the guy that's going to speak, you want to teach at a fire conferences, um, and you want to make the fire service what you're doing, writing articles, writing books, teaching, um, and you just can never get enough of the fire service drug, and you have the opportunity to go to a bigger job, do it. Mm. Because oh. if you don't, you'll regret it. Because bigger's not better. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I just thought about my last shift where, you know, I worked, well, I was actually, I was, I worked extra, but um, an overtime shift, but I got a commercial job, wasn't a huge deal, but it was a big deal. It was a high fire dollar loss, you know, a uh, serious thing. Next morning, you know, a converted RV camper that somebody lives out with a, you know, lives in, you know, a permanent window fix mount AC hardwired in, and it was a fatality. And you know, I, I stopped keeping track at over 50 civilian fire fatalities. So in five years, you're going to still hear me say over 50 because I don't like to count anymore. I, you know, um, I, I, I just, and you know, why did I count the one time? Because I went into a dark, deep place and, you know, somebody asked me if I'd had dreams and I said, no. And so then I was wondering if I was cared or not. And when I sat down and I started putting pen to paper um, even though I don't have dreams, I was still able to recollect, you know, crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like sticking my hand in somebody's guts and belly on North F Street, just north of Garden Street when I worked in Pensacola. And, you know, it was obvious that was a, you know, a fatality. Um, but, you know, like I had to I had to think deep to to, you know, think about those. And recently I just started thinking about because I, I, I've always sucked at giving somebody a straight answer because, you know, I, I don't want to determine somebody else's career. I don't want to determine somebody else's life. Um, I've had a lot of people in Escambia come talk to me in private, you know, people that I didn't even think cared about my opinion or whatever, but obviously they knew I wouldn't share with anybody that I talked to them one-on-one. And, you know, so I thought, well, man, I'm getting to a point in my career where, my opinion matters to some people. So if it matters to some people, I better be respectful enough to have a decent answer instead of just a lazy man. I don't know. I can't determine your career. So it's opinion still. So my opinion is, is that if you're at it with a job and it's not just a short-term thing and your family's going to support it, if you're, you know, already married, I forgot what the spouses call it. You're being duped or something like that. Um, a man don't have to tell you, they, they got this term, like you've been duped, I guess if, you're married, and then you get in the fire service. You get duped because they got in. They they were with you before you got in the fire service, gotcha, and you duped gotcha. them over. But um, and on top of that, you know, hopefully some more ladies will come and sign, come to the spouse track in August. That that that's what's going to make the fire service the greatest. Is more firefighters into the job, getting their spouses connected with the firewives group, the spouse group. Um, you know, uh, to to just connect about how great the fire service is, best uh, insurance policy you'll ever have. But I, I want to make it clear that 
if you're really into the job, you need to be finding a big place that's busy because times are changing. And I, I don't ever want to go down on a record saying we don't go to fires anymore. You know what I mean? I'm never going to go against Andy Frederick's, you know, speech. Right. But the more I talk to people and I travel, I realize how many places it's hard for them to stay motivated because they're not going to fires. They're not right. going to jobs. They're riding fancy, you know, million dollar rigs, million and a half dollar rigs, and they're going to med call after med call after med call. They're not even getting pen jobs, extrications, special ops calls. They're just going to the everyday Mister Rogers neighborhood call, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, you know, we we need great firefighters ready. But I go back and I think about what um, Reese Swartz and Mark Burchette and um, some other great brothers down in Destin talked to me about, you know, 2006 to 2012, I was the monthly contract training officer for South, South Okaloosa, South Walton, um, all these departments together. We just invoiced them and they would come together to station in the morning at lunchtime. I would eat, drive to another firehouse um, and multiple stations would come together. And those got Mark, you know, and I worked together at Mary Esther and they, they said, you know, Kurt, man, we love your passion. We love how much you love it. And, you know, don't take this the wrong way. But when we're in the back of the room and we're giggling and we're laughing at you, we're not laughing at you. We're laughing because you're talking about and teaching us things we're never going to get to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, they, this is pretty much what they told me. These are my words. But you work in the ghetto. You work in a very high crime large metro, you know, county, you know, with 300 and some thousand people with some rough neighborhoods. Okaloosa County has got 180,000 people for the whole county, and we're lucky to get a fire a year. And I blew them off, and and all I did was yelled a little louder, screamed a little louder, talked a little faster when I talked down there, and tried to cram it down their throat, and... I got it, man, because by the time they had a job that they might would use that stuff, it had been so long they forgot about it. So then I thought about, you know, some of my buff reading growing up in a fire service like the book Report from Engine Company 82. Um, and it talks about it in that book, and it talks about it in some other stuff, you know, other historic books. And, and you know, talking to, to people that worked in the war years, you know, Captain Bill Gu- or uh, uh, Captain Morris, Chief Morris. Um, you know, still in the job in Stanford. You know, he told me one night, you know, we were just talking. He's drinking coffee, and, you know, he, he point blank said it. He said, and, and I'd heard it before and read it in the books. He's like, we suck at a job. We go back to the firehouse. We talk about it while we're loading hose, whatever. He said, we'll get that job later that night. Or we, you know, because he got, he got hired like in 1970, I think, or whatever. But he worked through the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s until he aged out. But, he said, but it's, you know, we'd have that fire, that job again, and we would be able to do it. And it, we hadn't forgot about a few hours before where we talked about messing up the stretch or messing up the hookup or, right. you know, messing up that we didn't size up. There's a, whatever it was. And so those are things that I do, you know, and, you know, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if tonight we don't have two, three, four dozen firefighters that have, you know, contemplated, should I go somewhere else? Cause if, if I had to say the biggest question I've gotten in the last 10 years, it would be, should I go to another fire department? 
Right. And I would say more times than not, I've told people to stay, don't leave, man. You got five years, you got four years, you got six years and you know, life's short. And, um, you know, I'm glad that I got over being angry at Escambia because I I say it all the time, man, and and a positive thinking brings positive results, but I'm not BSing. I think I'm probably the happiest I've been at Escambia since I got hired. And it's different times because I'm older, more responsibility, that sort of thing. But I get excited about it, you know, like just being able to do stuff. And I've talked about like, don't ever say don't do that again. Um, You know, just recently I had my fourth trash truck incident like who goes to four trash truck incidents, hydraulics or somebody's like, you know, getting stumped in a tram, you know, some are more complicated than others. And so I just started focusing on how lucky I was, even though I didn't go to the, um, you know, the FDNY as a whole, but Hey, I have to do this. And I want to talk about it a little bit because I didn't want to be on the foothills of you talking about it, but you know, we, uh, we kind of stepped off in something more so kind of like you're doing because at the end of the day, you got to be fun and things got to happen. So I can't not give a shout out to Elkhart hose or Elkhart nozzles, key hose, uh, morning prop bunker gear, fire station furniture. Brandon is unbelievable fire station furniture and hopefully going to work out something pretty cool with him in the future. And obviously Columbia Southern's always been with us. Um, you know, key hose and, and Elkhart nozzle, you know, they've supported the pushing of fire service for weapon selection for, you know, truly understanding you know, not just what brand of hose you have, but what style, what's the friction loss, you know, how's it going to kink with your nozzle and your flow and all of that. And so those are big deals. And I want to turn this into kind of like an educational thing, leadership thing too, is when you talk about staying in your lane, all right, picking those companies to rep, not just a specific conference, but to, to this logo, saying it backs the, you know, Fire Station Furniture, Columbia Southern, Morning Pride, Kios, and Elkhart because they're time-tested. They're true-tested. I mean, you know, most of them have been sponsoring us since before HROC started, you know, so we're talking up to, to over a decade, 12 years. But, you know, the first nozzle I used getting on the job was, you know, Elkhart. The first set of bunker gear that I got where I got fitted over 30 years ago was Morning Pride gear, so we don't just, like, I'm not just picking like, you know, companies, it comes down to loyalty too. Right on, right on. And what you're doing. And the message to you is in the fire service that what we do, you know, it's okay, you know, if you're teaching and you want to get paid, it's okay if Corley gets some money to do 200 scraps. Like I thought about this today, the time, like, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm excited about tonight, but it's an inconvenience as in, not in a bad way, like, but I mean, I like I just got back home last night. My plane yes. landed almost ten o'clock. We had to, we had to move schedules around, and every, we had to yes. And so, what I want to talk to the viewers is, and we need your help. Stop making it be okay for somebody to pay a firefighter to come to your house to fix your air conditioner, or pay somebody to come lay tile at your house, or that's just, or or cut your grass, or do whatever. Firefighters aren't going around with their side job doing all that stuff for free. They can help you out. I've said this before, man, like, you know, financially, Jessica and I, probably our biggest boost financially out of anything we've ever done was having a firefighter that's a general contractor build two houses for us, you know? And when we sold our houses based on how much he did for us, it helped us so we can pay for Catherine to be in Italy this summer and Trevor to be in Manhattan and do those things. So absolutely, firefighters can help you, but Keith Pate didn't build our house for free. 
he, you know, he still had to be compensated, but he benefited, we benefited, and those things, you know, is, or, or as a whole are okay. So, you know, sometimes we talk about staying in our lane. Staying in our lane can be about like, hey, man, I got to take care of my family, and I can't come cut your grass for free. You know, you stay in your lane. That's what you do and what I do type of deal, you know, and, and I always wondered, like, if if four people in a fire department are all have a, have a grass cutting business they've been doing for years – and all of a sudden, Johnny and Susie get on a job. Is it okay if they start a grass cutting business? What happens if they want to cut grass in the same neighborhood you're cutting grass in? Right. 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 I say it's okay. If you've been in business a while, then hopefully you've upgraded your trailer so it doesn't look like shit when it's parked out in front of your their house, you know, the customer's house. And you, you know, you got a good blower and your blades are good on your mower, whatever the case. Right. So, um, All right. I don't do it. Sorry, I don't um, want to cut you. No, no, I don't want to cut you off. Kyle just reminded me, and I don't want to cut you off because you're on a roll. You're on yeah. a like a like a 30 minute roll. But uh, and I love it. Uh, I forgot about this right here at, at the beginning because this arrived in the mail, and I've been waiting. Uh, it says open on 200. Do not open until the 200th episode. Okay, you want to open it now? I don't know. I don't know because Kyle reminded me it's been sitting on my on my desk since I got it like two weeks ago. Okay. Well, I got to go to the bathroom again. And okay. And- I'm just hydrating. So all that's in this thing is literally Pedialyte. I'm working okay. a 72 tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. So, but I just want everybody to check out my, all my Escambia County brothers watching tonight. I got the sticker that y'all left on my desk. I don't know where it came from, but it says, what color is the trash can city fire tactics? So I'm not sure, but I, I put the sticker on my thing. What color is the trash can city fire tactics? So, you, Corley, you open that. I'm going to go to the bathroom because I've been drinking Gatorade water and I went to dinner and had a few Cokes. All right. I'm opening. Maybe I'm opening. Maybe I'm opening this. I mean, I can tell it's 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 a tin shape. And I know Taylor. So I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a tin. Because everybody knows I love tins. And was Kurt on a roll or what? Check it out. <laughs> I don't know if the light's too bright. There you go. Firehouse Visuals, the weekly scrap. 200th episode. And look at that. There's Chiefs. Yeah. That's Wilbur C. Isaacson. So check it out. All right, I'm coming back. No, 100%, brother. Check it out. With your, oh, that's awesome. With the Wilbur C. I like it. I like it too, brother. Thank you. Hey, and thanks to Kyle, man. He had to remind me like four times to literally just sign my name, take a picture, and send it to him. And, you know, this, is, this isn't making excuses, but I, I got to tell you this. It, it sounds so stupid, but when I was younger, you know, you'd hear somebody say, hey, you know, I want to talk to so-and-so, a politician. And you'd be like, you know, I just want a minute. They said, well, he doesn't have a minute. And when I was younger, I'm like, how in the hell didn't somebody have a minute? Like, that's just stupid. Like, or somebody said, if, if they really care, oh, they'll make time. People make time for what's important. Well, yeah, I get that, man. Like, but at the end of the day, you want to talk about being great? Sacrifices, oh. man. And family's going to make sacrifices. You're your friends are going to miss out. Like, you know, at the end, like, I, I, 
and we kidded around about it, but when somebody's married and then they get in the fire service, the spouse, significant other, whether it's a male or female, it don't matter. Significant other. Man, you know, I don't even know if Duke's a good enough word. I think they're getting screwed over, to be honest with you. Um, because they, they it's not fair because um this job is not better than any other occupation or career. And I, I've always meant that. And I, and I say that we, I try to tell people, if they thank me for being a firefighter. I'm like, hey, thank you. We all make the world go around. That's what my dad told me as a kid, that, that every job's important. But this job is just a little more different in how we, in the military, you get assigned a base, you leave. You may never see them people again. Here, you may do 20, 25, 30 years in the same fire company, same firehouse, same people. It's emotional, man. Like, you know, yes. when, you know, we lost Terrell Jackson um, earlier this year. And, you know, I I, th- I thought about it, man. Like, you know, he just recently got assigned to me. And I always thought the world of Terrell, um, you know, I always felt like he didn't like me. You know what I mean? We, you know, line up as a, as a chief because, you know, he was just kind of soft-spoken, easy going. But he was into the job, man. I mean, he was into the job, and I'll talk about it later. But on my newest flashlight, I got I got Lieutenant Terrell Jackson sticker on there. Make the grab, T. Jackson, and you know they couldn't get a hold of me because um, you know I did the whole phone switcheroo thing to find mental peace of not getting a bunch of texts. And um, Chief Robinson, Norm Robinson, him and I were you know he was the firefighter at set you know, tailboard with Maurice on engine five. And, um, you know, he was able to get a hold of me and the fire service is different, man. It, it doesn't make it better, but you know, if somebody works in an office building or at a bank and, you know, somebody dies for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not saying they're not upset or they're not emotional, but it's different, man. We spend we spend I, too much time together. We 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 share too many emotional bonding moments together in emergent situ high consequence situations to not form that bond. Go ahead. And and I and I'm strictly drinking Pedialyte, so um, I'm just get, I'm just hydrating myself. Um, but I I thought about because because you want to talk about going to fires, going to jobs. Terrell went to jobs, man. You know, he, he was a black cloud as in he was just on duty at the right time at the right place. Uh, he worked a lot of overtime. He was a volunteer at Station 7. But, you know, we think about fires that we went to with these people or we think about the training that we did or whatever. And, and I, I, I couldn't help but stop and think about, you know, the fire that we had had. Three-story large apartment complex condominiums. And he was the first dude driver, man. And... The three-story exposure was off-gassing. It was about to light off. Palm trees were on fire. Um, we caught three hydrants that night, fully tapped all of them. You know, I had uh, Engine 16, the entire company, working on just zeroing out a hydrant that was in the woods. Um, and, you know, the night I got cold, I just thought about Terrell, like, looking at me and laughing because I got on the radio. I did stationary command from the back of my vehicle, and I – Basically, everybody stopped and listened, and I, you know, everybody was excited. And I said, "We're going to put this fire out. Don't worry about it. Don't be on our terms." And like it was funny to people afterwards, 
But I was trying to tell everybody, hey man, there's no reason to get excited. We're gonna stop it at the next breezeway. Like we're gonna we're gonna burn half this building down right now. I'm not focused on where that next hose line's going. I'm focused on what's the next hydrant we're gonna hook into. I, I'm I'm like right now you're thinking about the next sixty seconds. I'm thinking about the next sixty minutes, right? So right. when you're riding, holding a nozzle, you're holding a halligan tool, you're holding a, a, a roof hook, you're thinking about the next 60 seconds. I'm thinking about 60 minutes from now. And that 60 minutes might be if, if you do something stupid and go into a fire where it's been extinguished, but it's a commercial occupancy and it's still IDLH smoke to the ground. I'm thinking the next 60 minutes, if you get disoriented and you sit down, can your air pack last 60 minutes if you breathe in twice, breathe out slow, and you skip breathe? Can we find you in this commercial? That's how I think. Not 60 seconds. I'm thinking 60 minutes. And that night, Terrell just, you know, was kind of giggling and laughing. Um, and he was always filming and taking pictures. But we, we're the lucky ones, man. So, like, you know, I turned emotion into just, you know, the positive times. And, um, you know, him just, you know, being into the job, uh, if you will. And right Terrell, was a, Terrell was a guy, you know, he, he stayed in his lane. And so I don't want anybody to take misconnotation. You know, we were hyping things up uh, because we want people to listen tonight. We want people to be into the job. We want to motivate people. But Terrell stayed in his lane and just listening to so many firefighters about how impactful he was in his lane on a small rural two-lane road where one-on-one checking a rig, the people that wanted to listen and how he talked to them about how to check the rig. Now, I already knew how to check the rig. And I've always had an idea who checks the rig, who checks the soles, because that matters to me on a crunch time, because I might micromanage you. Because if I might, you know what people say, I oh, told me where to cut holes, micromanage. No, if I get on a roof and I'm like on the roof with you, that's micromanaging. If I tell you, hey, you know, you know, lighter 12, I want you to cut a hole on a on a backside Charlie side of the peak near the Bravo Charlie corner. I'm telling you that without doubt, so you don't have to think about it and you just do it because I've already considered there's a 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing into the face of the A-alpha side of the building, and I don't want you to embarrass yourself when you cut a hole on that side because that's the easiest place to cut it because you laddered it on the A-side. Now you're cutting a hole, and what are we doing? We ain't vent nothing. We just got a damn 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing into a 4-on-12 pitch roof. So instead of embarrassing you, I just made it simple. I told you where to cut. You still get to crank the saw. You still get to run the saw. You still get to cut the hole. And – at the end of the day, you're cutting that hole. I'm thinking about what not I saw when I got there, but what I saw 60 seconds later, three minutes later, five minutes later. Because when you first get there, that size up doesn't matter. The first thing you see when you get on a job means nothing. Means nothing. Because you have nothing to compare to. You don't know what it was doing 60 seconds before you got there. See, what you got to do is what do you see when you get there and then look at it a minute from now, two minutes from now and see what it's doing a minute after you've arrived, two minutes after. That's how I determine my fire ground tactics. Not I pull up and say, well, shit, it's just a bunch of chairs on the porch burning. No, I pulled up, it was a bunch of chairs, and a minute and a half later, man, it blew out two windows because unbeknownst to me, it was set a fire was set inside and the front porch, or it already had auto-extended, you know, lit off the blinds behind the glass, of a thermal pane window, which got the couch burning, but I couldn't see it because right. it was camouflaged by the fire on the front porch. The window failed, and when the window failed, that let us see that the fire inside had already preheated, and the couch was like sitting in Ready. an oven. Ready. And now, boom, it lit off. And I said, like, "Oh man, I never seen that before." Well, 
your size up has got to be compared to something. It's or it's, you know it's got to be relative to something to to compare it to. Um, right. Chief, I gotta I gotta get I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the audience into this. All right, uh, let's do it. Well, I can't honestly. Like it's impossible because there's 411 comments in the first 40 minutes, so that's like 10 comments a minute, which is un ungodly pace. And so I've only seen like the last 20. Now Kyle is grabbing questions, but like. Uh, there's a lot of congratulations, a lot of hype, um, without a doubt. The first five minutes determine your next five hours. That comes from Kyle Condiff. Smoothbore Cartel, Kyle Ramos says, I'll stop telling you where to park the rig when you learn where to put it. And that's a quote of Chief Ike. Um, oh, you, you, you want me to get on that one? I can talk about that one for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I have no doubt. But I'm going to throw – are you ready for a first question from the audience? Just to – I want to I want to include them because I love your oh, – I- Yeah, Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. This one comes from Luke November. Chief Ike, thanks for coming. Can you talk about what it was like being in the UK? Let me let me expand this so I can make sure I get everything. Swapping tactics and training with the best firefighters on the globe. Well, big shout out to my buddy Gerard over in um, Australia. And Jessica and I are coming to see you, man. So I just gave you a shout out. So make sure you take care of us. We're going to stop in Hawaii and uh, see my boys over there uh, just to split the trip up. But the um and thanks to Elkhart um Brass uh you know for for inviting us to go over there and the trip to UK man like you know I, I can't even size it up from Morton and Marsh is just a beautiful town where the UK fire school is and it's huge it's a few you know it's it's massive man it's built like on an old World War II you know um airport but I think I think what's most important the biggest thing we learned is. Man, thank goodness I'm older and I'm more mature because I didn't go over there like worried about arguing about how much water we deliver and how we put it on a fire. They use water, we use water. They love the job, we love the job. Love it. The brotherhood was unbelievable. And I'll do this just to keep it short and under five minutes. We went to the fire station almost under the shadows of the Grenfell Tower fire. Ooh. Um, that, you know, uh, 79 people, man, I got so many numbers in my head. I think 79 people lost their life at that fire. And, um, you know, it started, you know, just in, in an apartment. I think it was behind a microwave or behind a refrigerator. Um, but to listen and talk more so listen to the firefighters that were at that fire. Everybody listening. I'm going to tell you right now. They just like us. The ones I talked to, they gave one of them gave up his air pack. He could have been fired, could have been, could have died to get somebody out of that building. They, 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 it's worth the risk, man. It's a, it's a sticker. It's a slogan. They don't, they don't, they don't need that. Like they, they were, they were doing no different than us. They just might use a little different tools, a little different equipment. But once again, man, they're under their culture. They're under their department. They're under their organization. But trust me, they're 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 living with the positives of who they saved. And just like anybody, man, it's just like they're they're living with who they didn't save, you know. But they did what they could with what they had um, at, at a crazy significant, you know, um, incident. So I think the biggest thing I learned is that things aren't so different. You know, if you, you can get down to the thing about, you know, how much water they flow and all that, but what really is, is 
they're brothers in the fire service, man. We, when we got there and we walked into Paddington station, which is huge. There's all kinds of people on duty and there's a lot of stuff that they do a lot better than us um, in regards to their maps and excuse me, certain things that they do, but they were cooking in the kitchen. Um, they ran a drill for us and when they ran it, no excuses, no apologies. They ran it. This is how we do it. And they were confident and they backed it up. And I was very impressed with that. Very, very impressed. Um, and, you know, I definitely 100% want to go back to London. You know, I want to go back to the UK fire school, but um, London's bigger than New York city, man. Like, you know, they say it can be the upwards of 12 million people in London. And I just thought it was awesome. I thought it was beautiful. And if you think stuff's old here, man, ain't nothing old in America It's old over there. Like, I mean, it's old, old, a lot of old stuff. Right. Um, so I, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and you'll watch the Elkhart video, um, you know, about, you know, you know, what we did and flow and water and that sort of thing, but we did real fires. And the cool thing was, uh, I got to be on a nozzle and, um, not only did I get to be on the nozzle, chief Dave McGrail was my backup. I'm talking about lights out. You couldn't see, man. Like, I mean, it was lights out, yes. lights out. And then, um, you know, I had, man, a guy that won the Leadville 100 on a one speed bike, um, you know, as our, as our road back, our door control guy feeding hose. I mean, Eric Tolan's the one, all I did was like, just push in, like he's running back, getting hose, you know, back down the stairs. And so to, to get to put out a, you know, a fire in that facility over there in the UK, um, you know, with Chief McGrail and Eric Tolan, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was 30 minutes or less, you know, fully, you know, stretching up the stairs, pushing in and doing it. But, you know, once again, it goes back to the brotherhoods, the brotherhood, and that includes right. our sister firefighters, but yeah, man, they love it, man. Like there's, there's no body of water big enough to separate the fire service on a global scale. Um, and I think, you know, just personally, I think in the next decade, you'll see the world. And I always say the American fire service and my new thing is going to be the worldwide fire service. I think you're going to see the worldwide fire service more connected and dropping the ego and coming to the table, just like the blue angels do when they're done doing a flight for training and talking about what you did good, what you did bad, how do we make it better, how do we share, um, and what's going on. There's just too many great people from Spain, you know, Germany. Um, right. In Germany, they got, got a facility that we're looking to go to, like Jim McCormick's, you know, over there uh, doing stuff. So I, I really think that the future of the fire service on a global scale is going to be something we've never seen in a respectful uh, way uh, because there's a lot of stuff that they do that that we could learn from. And obviously there's things that, you know, I think they could possibly, you know, get from us. Love it. Love it. Uh, you ready for the next question? Yeah. We got a lot. We got lots to talk about with a, with a break building, but Heath Ray wants to know, and I love this question, but chief, how do you stay passionate? Seeing old heads burn out has become a fear of mine. Well, <clears throat> first and foremost, um, you know, it's not okay to get burnt out. Like if you're still in the job, you you can never be the school teacher that's just waiting for her or his his or her pension. You know, but you know, I've said this before in the past, you don't have to be Miss Bryant, you know, that's the 30-some year third grade teacher that has that experience but still excited about her students showing up. That's just not realistic. But you can't be the dud that's not doing your job when you're at work getting paid. But if you're asking how do you stay into it? As in, like, you know, passionate, caring about keeping your tools clean, wrapping them with new tape, 
Um, you know, you're, 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 you're proud, you know what I mean? To put your name on your flashlight. So when people are following you and they know who they're following or, you know, your name's on it because, you know, you're, you know, that if, if, if it's found inside, then that means you're probably inside and they probably need to come find you because something bad happened. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is associating and communicating with people that love it like you around the globe, around, you know, the United States, um, you know, and I used to just say it around the country, but around the globe now, you know, I, I text with and communicate with more frequently firefighters, you know, outside of JJ, outside the state of Florida, you know, as a whole, whether it be buffing, communicating, sharing information. So you you have to find people that love it like you do, um, you know, like and 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 still, you know, still obviously hang out with your firefighters on your job. But it's okay that everybody in your fire department doesn't love it like you. But if you're, if this is what you're going to do, you know, is, is your things, the fire service. Um, it's what makes you tick. It's, you know, what gets you up in the morning with that alarm clock. Then you're going to have to connect, network, and hang out with people. And, you know, a lot of times I say go to conferences. I don't say that as much now because we run conferences. I don't want to seem like I'm telling you to come to, you know, a CFT uh conference but those do help if you go to the right ones and and you know they're properly put together and they're motivating i'll just say fdic if you go to fdic for a week and you don't get energized you don't get motivated shit nothing's getting you motivated i'm sorry just you know uh quit but i'll close it out with this and this is just it is what it is man and everybody from that from a scambia listening right now is going to start giggling if you can go to jobs and that don't keep you motivated Find another job, find another career, go do something else. Because, man, when I'm going to fires, it's like crack cocaine for me. Like, it don't matter if I hadn't slept in three days, I'm on to go, go, go. But as soon as it stops and I'm off duty, I could be the most dangerous person. It's like a zombie. Like, I mean, I'm just crashed out. But, like, you know, and I know I, and I try to I try to, to, to control it. I try to keep handcuffs on it. But if I'm at a fire, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't want to let anybody go. If somebody from Escambia is listening, just give me a thumbs up that you know what I'm talking about, like Escambia brother that's listening tonight. Like 2 o'clock in the morning, I could not have been to bed for two days. You give me 18 firefighters in a building that they just put out, it's like winning a football game. I'm the coach. I don't want to go home. Like, let's do this over again. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't give me the trophy because it's over with. Um, And – I love it, man. Like, you know, but like, I'm pretty much just a, a paid, you know, buff that talks on the radio. Cause I don't like, you know, really do much other than talk on the radio, uh, kind of give out the plays, but I'm not running the plays. And so I'll tell you, that's the easiest way when, if I'm down and out and, and maybe I'm just like, you know, I'm not full of piss and vinegar and, you know, people might not know what I'm not. You let me go to work and go to a good fireman. I don't care what it is. You know, I prefer, I absolutely done with people getting injured and killed I don't like people's stuff to catch on fire. I do get emotional about it. And for anybody that hasn't listened, um, my aunts and uncles, you know, all lived in Escambia County and all different communities in Escambia County, you know, from the Alphabet Streets to off of Gulf Beach Highway, Detroit Avenue, you know, like almost, you know, I think it's six different neighbor communities between Inslee all the way down to, to Warrington, West Pensacola, Myrtle Grove. And so, when I when I'm out and about in the community, that's where I grew up going to for holidays to see my cousin. So I absolutely do not like people such catching on fire. But if it's gonna catch on fire, I want to be on duty. I want to be there. 
and I'm not too good for it. It can be small, big, uh, in between. And the more firefighters that we can have come to it and hang out, and I see them talking and loading hose and drinking water, and um, I'm like, that's what the job's about, man. That, that's what I read in this book right here, Report from Engine Company 82. Like, I want to do an all-hands pickup. I, I want, I'm not letting anybody leave the party early. I'll right. let you know when the party's over. It's my house. I'll tell you, we're we're going to take care of this fire. We're not worried about the other fire that may or may not happen. And uh, we want to split the load. I mean, if we get enough people there, it might just be one length of hose per person to make the job easier. Right. Um, right. So I think that's the easiest thing. And I know, and I hate using that because some people, you know, it's just not a thing. But, you know, I don't know, man, go, go buff at a city, like find a way, like, you know, listening to radio reference calls um, and buffing other people's fires if you can. I mean, uh, back in the day at Firehouse Expo in Baltimore, um, man, you know, you asked me one of your questions was one of my top mentors, uh, Pat Grace. And the first few years, man, he was just like shaking his head, you know, because um, I'm like a hoarder and, and, and him and his wife, you know what I mean? Like they do it right. They just have what they need type of thing, and you don't have all this extra junk. And I'd be getting on an airplane with an extra bag. I had to, like, buy Pelican boxes sometimes or buy an extra book bag because I was bringing home all the VHS tapes from the people that were, you know, the buffs that were filming them, whether it's Harrisburg, PA. Shout out to Jill. Um, You know, awesome. I love fire photographers. My buddy Tim Oak, Lloyd Mitchell. You know, JJ's just a, you know, he, he don't have his batteries in his camera half the time, so we're not call him a photographer. But those photographers that filmed and those VHS tapes, man, I, I don't know how many I had a couple dozen. I wore them things out, man, like capital city blaze. I can in my head right now, see a fire in Harrisburg it's probably in the late eighties of man, three, two and a half story frames going and one firefighter on a two and a half. Another firefighter is trying to push through an exposure on an inch and a half. And like, I just watched them things over and over and over again. And, you know, I, I, I found a way to try to be on duty in my garage. There's a scanner on 24-7 in my garage. There's uh, – what are you saying, Jessica? It's there's Jessica. I got a pager in a cottage, man. Like, um, you know, outside of just, you know, certain periods, most of the time I got a, a radio in my fire car, carry my gear. I've left church to go to fires. I've left birthdays off duty. Like, and people say, oh, there'll be more. Well, ain't going to be more than one I'm going to right now. This is it. I either go or I don't go. I'm either going to regret that I didn't go or I'm going to regret that I went. Um, right. And, you know, so you make yourself available to to go to jobs. Um, right. You know, when I get off duty and I'm leaving a firehouse, a fire comes in, I'm going as battalion five. I'm not going home. Like, <laughs> I just can't imagine just because somebody clocked out. We clock in and out now. It's a joke. But anyways. We no, no, get- no. I Chief, first of all, 505 comments. And we had we just we're about to hit an hour live, so that's unreal. I can't even. Everybody making comments. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot even read them as fast as they are going by. So, a hundred percent, chief. Five hundred comments. Uh, I, I'm going to read a couple that just kept by if I can catch them. Of course, Scott Thompson is riding with Clyde with the hashtag ride with Clyde. So I hope it's going awesome for you right now. Frank Vasquez said this. Chief Frank Vasquez said, "I'm starting to think Kurt is an alien. He doesn't stop to breathe." And so 100%. uh, Talking about breathing, man, we were in Colorado. Well, my boys from Del Norte hooked me up a few years ago, and I had to put a non-rebreather on. 
because that's almost 10,000 feet. But, man, they sell at Dick Sports these little canisters of oxygen. We we went and bought them because we were there for a soccer tournament last week. I'm getting some of them and putting them in my fire car because, like, I need them sometimes when I'm hyperventilating at a good job. I'm just going to go take a little speed. <laughs> I love no it. Comments. No, no, Colorado Springs was the same way for me. I was like, I was struggling to teach there. Because I was like, man, that's not even that high elevation, it's man. It's six thousand. It's six thousand. Oh, that's Mickey Mouse. See, them guys in Denver, they all think they're tough. They need to go up there and hang out with Polly Capo, who's the acting chief now in Estes Park. I mean, that's pushing ten thousand feet. Ooh, or no. you know, go go down. We were Breaking Ridge the other day. Like go 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 to Breaking Ridge. That's where the real firefighters in Colorado work is there and down in Del Norton that area. Denver is like that's like sea level. Every, see, everything's relative. Yes, it's real. All my brothers relative. in Denver, man, they got some bad ass firefighters. We're, I'm gonna leave it at this. Denver is like, like sea level. Everybody else, they're the tough ones in Colorado. <laughs> there you go. I didn't. Yeah, straight from Kurt. Todd Edwards coming at you, Chief. Share your conversation about flying the stick on a single family dwelling. Very valuable for suburban apartments to hear. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love it, man. Like. Here's one thing. I'm just going to be honest with you. If if I got something and I post something and your dumbass comments on it, then all you're doing is like trying to look smarter, act smart. Remember that I run a website. I run fire conferences. Like I'm not somebody commenting. I'm putting out material as somebody that delivers material as a as a you know a writer three times a year in Firehouse Magazine, putting you know on conferences, picking who speaks. Read Corley's book, like it, don't like it. That's fine. Like it. Listen to my podcast, like it, don't like it. Right. Read my comment on drilling, like it, don't like it. But I don't need your dumbass comments because more than ever before, I'm not reading it so I can see how smart you think you are. If you're so smart, instead of wasting your time on commenting on mine, just go make a post if that's what you believe in educating everybody else. I got to say that because Todd's question is good. Because putting up a a, a stick on a one-story ranch, that's the stupidest shit in the world. That's the same dumbass that yesterday is talking about how dangerous it is to be on a roof. If I got an aerial device, whether it's a tower ladder, man, a TDA, that's it. Tractor drawn aerial. I'm, I'm finally getting that down. TDA. Or, you know, a straight stick. I don't care if it's rear mount, mid mount front mount, upside down mounted, um, and you put it to the roof, whether it's a one-story, a two-story, a three-story, a four-story, it's tactical safety, right? It's like, you know, Ray used to write this tactical safety, some of the best stuff out there, just one page. And, you know, tactical safety is not just like what his one page thinks. Tactical safety means that when you're tactically doing something, the fire ground commander, the firefighters, the company officers are building in a, a set of redundancy. A tactical deviation and resilience to where if something does go bad, we predicted it and we prepared for it. And Kyle loves like writing down quotes. I said shit, I never even know I said it. And now I own it. It's copyrighted because Kyle Ramagus did it for me. Ramagus is the best. Kyle, write this down and I'm going to own this. Gordon Graham is, you know, predictable is preventable. Kurt Isaacson is predictable is preparable, right? So if I can predict it, then I'm going to prepare for it. 
So if I'm going to put firefighters on a roof like Santa Claus, because we're the cowboys in Northwest Florida, that's what they say in other fire departments, we're cowboys. Well, hell, I'd love to be cowboys this country, man. Where would we be without the cowboys? Um, and I thought about that, like in Colorado, back in a, like the, the mine, gold mining days, you know what I mean? Like them out there in the winters. But if I got firefighters operating on a roof, on a one story, and they step through some OSB or some plywood, and they fall halfway in, all the way in, but they don't make it all the way into the building. They're in the attic. Well, the firefighter that falls through the roof on his DRD is, is down, you know, strapped, the, right. the, you know, NFPA standard. All my Scambia firefighters, check it. Make sure it's right since you cleaned your gear last. Make sure it's hooked up where it, it girth hitches, right? If you don't know what a girth hitch is, brother, learn that too. That's the inside joke. So, um, and they got that carabiner. I got it on my bunker coat, and I'm a chief. I don't even get on roofs. Um, and that that carabiner's back there. They invested in themselves. Huh. They invested in their own insurance policy to keep from collecting on the insurance policy. And they fall through. And that aerial device is already up there. What can I use that aerial device even on that one story? Man, the carabiner's there. Hook in a damn piece of eight millimeter rope with a double barrel fisherman or a piece of webbing with a, a water knot, hook it to the damn rung, and you damn right I'm going to use an aerial device that costs $1.5 million to lift a firefighter by his strap up out of the roof. Yes. Right? And in one video that we have um, that I use, I teach sometimes is where uh, Charles McGuffey, um, I, ha- I had him pull into the cul-de-sac, he backed in, and he puts the ladder to a one-story retired master chief, 20-some years in the Navy, no insurance, self-insured because insurance costs were so high, Hot, nice house, and, you know, it's up over the roof. And in the video, you see me put two straight ladders up on the roof. You know why I did that? Because I was pretending like I was in uh, Milwaukee or Buffalo, right? You know what I mean? Like I'm doing a peak roof ventilation. No, not really. That's a joke. Because that's what they do, right? Right. Now, this doesn't make it right or wrong. Just to get off sidetrack here, or Scott Walter to say, take the fork in the road. So I'm going to take the fork in the road. Is in Milwaukee and Buffalo. And Ray actually built this into his urban essentials class at FDIC years ago. It was unbelievable. Eric Roden and them, they built a peaked roof prop like they do in Milwaukee and Buffalo where they put two roof ladders and they go up with two saws and they yeah, cut. Like yeah. a residential trench cut almost, but it's a Milwaukee cut. They do that better than people that are good at forcing a door yeah. like there's no arguing with it. it it's unbelievable one time we were in milwaukee and and chief eric roden took us to this built bar they had the night before this house 150 years old and it had like old wood shake shingles as a roof over roof. like i'm talking like this man you better had a brand new partner saw with a perfect blade and somebody that knows how to like run it and be patient as you're running it but i say that to say fdny Chief Vincent Dunn, man, one of my, you know, I've read more stuff of his than anybody other than probably Bill Gustin, and they don't get on peak roofs. Right. The other day no I peaks. posted a picture of the tower ladder and a straight stick at a one story, and I was just turning this fire into a drill, and I do that all the time. Like, you're going to drill in the parking lot? Why not drill at a fire, right? Um, that's where you're, all the companies are together. Why not do it? And Chief Frank Lee, man, he's the safety chief at FDNY, and, and I took no disrespect. He, like, texted me, like, just, hey, man, like, like me. I want to learn, like, why. And my response to him was, you know, why we did it. But I said, I understand the FDNY doesn't get on peak roofs. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, we got Buffalo and Milwaukee over here that's putting these ladders up on these steep roofs and they're doing a kick-ass job. And over here, FDNY, I think it's the greatest fire department in the world. They don't do it. That's okay. It's like it's like the UK and London and what water they use or don't use. Like, you know, everything's a little different, but it's all the same. But if if we're practicing, and the other day, that was the first fire that the brand new ladder 12. And, and we, I want to talk about that tonight, too. And I want to tell you, I, I think it's a game changer. I think the new ladder 12 is a game changer in regards to county fire tactics. When I mean county fire tactics, I'm not talking about a website. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. – I'm talking about county fire tactics needs to be embraced more. In the past, all we talked about was urban tactics and suburban tactics. Right. There is what's called county fire tactics. And that's where the whole name came from is that county fire tactics is different than suburban fire tactics. And county fire tactics is different than urban tactics. And I'm slowly moving into that with my columns and firehouse. Um, The one that's coming out in August, Rich, um, everything's done with it. So it'll come out in the August firehouse magazine is my article is about tactical deviation. And I used a bunch of pictures from a fire we had on old Corey field road, a three bedroom, two bath apartment that took 50 feet of hose to get to the bedroom from the front door threshold. That's just rare, man. Like, you know, you know, even in like in a large city apartment buildings, you don't use that much. There's 50 feet of hose is a lot of hose right. to fully make the pinches to get to a room where it takes all 50 from the threshold. And at this fire, it did. And there were great firefighters there. But the fire is different because it is different in suburban America because we're the amount of resources we're bringing under the command of the same chiefs, the same organization, the same hose and equipment setups is is how it operates. But it's not five-person trucks or six-person trucks or five-person engines. You know, um, what you can put on a fire ground so as a whole, when we're talking about County fire tactics, where you're going to have the potential to maybe set up on that building, like they have, you know, like wherever in a big city, then when you're going to the frick, cause most of our fires are no different. They're like everybody else, everybody in the country from FDNY down to the smallest fire department, most common fire is a private dwelling. And even in the biggest cities, they're not going to fires in the downtown city area. They're going to the fires in the outskirts. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes and sits down at zero, zero, like zero west, zero east, to right. buff a fire in any major city. You go to the outskirts. You go to the 3,000 block, the 4,000 block. You go to where the fires are, right? Outside of town, where the two-and-a-half-story frames are catching on fire, the older buildings, not the brand-new high-rises with fire inspections, fixed fire protection systems. Everything looks good, and, you know, it's Main Street, USA. That fire is once a decade. The fires are, you know, in the um, in the outskirts. So the outskirts is where we got to be setting up on a one-story ranch so the driver operator gets used to being at the turntable and how to position it when it's 30 degrees, when it's going to come 90 degrees. I mean, I put posts on social media before and people were like, look at them. They're operating straight off the front of the rig. Yeah, because we didn't need to use. We literally raised it and barely extended it, and we're at the roof. Why would I park like this to raise, rotate 90 or 180 to extend it and it takes me two more minutes to get firefighters on a roof. Another thing is, is if I can pull in and I can raise it and just raise it and extend it, there's less work on the outriggers. Now you're in line with the rig. Now, 
If I'm trying to get full scrub on a four-story wood frame garden apartment complex, yeah, I'm going to back the rig in, and I'm going to come off the rear of the rig to get full scrub, full extension. Know sure. when to, know when not to. Um, you know, when when do I want to put it up in the grass? When do I want to back the rear wheels over the curb? Or, or like we did in Destin, man. Anybody, my buddies from Destin, I was with Destin back like 2009, damn window washer. Oh, he's painting top of one of the highest high rises um, down in Destin, Florida, and he fell over. Thank God for him. He was wearing that damn OSHA harness. He free fell, took the skin all the way down to his phalanges, um, and burned all the way through, and we pulled up, and he was dangling from his OSHA rope. We had ladder 10 from Destin cut the uh, – Handicap sign, cut it off with a reciprocating saw. Halligan tooled the concrete parking curbs and then just bent over the little rebar that holds them. You know, like the, there's two yeah. pieces of wood. Yeah. Ladder 10 deaths and backed up to this high-rise building. Went like what nobody ever wants to climb a ladder, right? Because now a 100-foot stick might actually get 10 stories up. And... They, Sean went up and they got the guy off the OSHA thing, got him on the ladder, and, and he's alive today. You know, so like that call there is a call that when it was over, I was like, hey, take away that. What if this building's on fire? Think about what you just did. You just popped up a parking curb. You cut down a sign. I mean, like suburban America, everybody loves the videos of the FDNY taking out the glass, looking into a hydrant, or the other day, the one on Instagram, where they're really not even messing the car up. They're just using a bumper on an engine in New York City, and they're slowly just pushing that car out of the way at a hydrant. Right, right. I love it when a suburban. I love it. <laughs> I love it when a suburban fireman gets on there. Oh, they 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 took more time. They could have gone around the car. They could have done this. See, that's somebody just said they don't go to jobs. Right. <laughs> because it's not about what they should have, could have, would have done. It's about that fucking dumbass. It doesn't give a shit about people breaking rules parked in front of a hydrant. Guess what? They're never going to do again. Yeah. They're never yes. going to park in front of a hydrant again. Yes. I, I only got one hand, so I use one F word. So, um, you know, e- even though I know other people in here do, I try not to, to use four-letter words. But um, at the end of the day, whether it's the FDNY going through somebody's car pushing it or whether it's me having a ladder company put that arrow to the roof, there's a message, there's a lesson to be learned from all of it on what to do. Because, see, if you're a brand-new probie riding on the back of that engine and you go to a job a couple of times where an engine company pushes a rig out of the way, breaks a window, or you go to a fire, not saying any of my friends would do this, and on your tower ladder, you know what I mean, like 45 and you drop an outrigger on a car, not saying anybody would do that, and you put the outrigger down so you can get the tower ladder up. Or I, I love, um, um, man, and, and and for those, man, if, if, if your faith is not, then just walk away. But just a moment of prayer and thought for our brothers in Birmingham. Absolutely. And, like we go to fires, we know the risk. We wear bunker gear, we breathe air. You know, we 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 build in some tactical safety command. I mean, 
there's there's no way to avoid somebody just wanting to damn pull out a gun and shoot a firing. There's you just no, walking I mean, in the like, rig, walking in the bay because your back door's open and just start blasting. Man, like you know, and, and we got to live life. You know, what I mean, I'm not going to keep my kids from going to a movie. I, I I can tell you, I'm not scared when I go to a a stadium to a ball game. Now, my wife, and my kids are with me. My head's on a swivel. I'm watching every single person where they got a coat where their hands are. It's almost exhausting, but I'm still going to be there. I want to be able to see what's going on. But I, I don't want to get sidetracked. But I just thought about that because Magic City Truck, um, you know, and. Uh, when they in their in, in their program, you know, and and I've talked about it, but I've never actually led a program where I got a car. Not that I wouldn't. Um, I didn't do it, but they did it um, in Carroll Stream. But um, the the Clay McGee and those guys from uh, Birmingham putting a ladder through the windshield down into the floorboard of a car or the seat or shit. I don't know, man. Like just whatever the roof of a car because you're trying to extend your ladder to get a little higher or the car's parked in a bad spot. How about the video we've all seen where the cops pull the car up to the apartment so they can use their squad car to get up and make the grab of the little girl. Right, right. You know, that's predictable, preparable. That's thinking outside the box. Well, where I'm going with this, because I'm still answering Todd's question. I know. (laughs) Hey, someone said Todd lit this fuse 15 minutes ago. (laughs) This is a great talking point. You can't can't expect firefighters to come on his job and be thinking, man, like, like when, like I love it when a firefighter knows what's okay to damage and what's not. We go to a pot of beans on the stove, and one of my firefighters puts their pike into the wall just to hold their halogen. I'm gonna go berserk. But if we got a fire that burns up one room or more to where I can see where the sheetrock nails run four feet off the floor from where the sheetrock was hang. I'm not. I'm not paying attention to where they hung their hook or their halligan tool. I got. I don't even tell them. I got my own set of rules. If it's a pot of beans on a stove, fine. It's a full room or more where like the heat has defined where they mudded and taped over the nails. Then I'm not because that's you know what I mean. We've all lost me more than a lot. You can't find your halligan. It's, you know it's up under the sheetrock. It's under a hose line. Like know when to and when not to. So to, to go back to Todd's thing is is that becomes your standard, then people are getting out and they're getting reps to get out their jacks. They're getting out reps when and where, how close they need to be to get on the grass over, you know, the gray concrete drainage curve versus the black asphalt. And, you know, each rig on, on how to, you know, turn it and short jacket. So let me ask you this, Chief. Like like when you do roll up on that suburban thing and it's not it's it's not your typical and you're, you're feeling something inside that's like different. Are you gonna you gonna say, hey, hold off on putting that stick up? I want to, I want, I want the manpower right now. Do you make that well, call? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's gonna be one person setting it up. Okay. I mean, okay. I'm just asking. And, and 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 I could like you know, um, and I can't remember if I did or didn't. I I think the other day, I said to the lieutenant, hey, you guys go inside, and do a search. And so Lieutenant Anderson. And as firefighter, like, I was like, hey, let the driver set it up. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 man, I, you know, I, I think that's what I did. But sure. um, that, was, that was a busy shift, man. Like, fire in Alabama, commercial job, line of, you know, civilian fire fatality. Like, we had a, a bunch of fires. But I'm pretty sure that the lieutenant of firefighter went straight in to do a thing. And I think, um, you know, Travis Litchfield, he's not even assigned to the station. You know, um, he was there to to drive. And um, no, no, it's Tim Nagum. Shit, man. Like I'm thinking about what, 
So Tim Nagum, he's one of the CFT team. Yeah. He was down out there. Like, Timmy's got it, man. Just let Timmy do it, right? I mean, hell, Timmy's a truck driver. And so I think Timmy did most of it himself. Well, it's a brand new rig. They just put it in service like three days before. If we have a fire later that day or that night and somebody's hanging from the fifth floor balcony and fire's about to blow out a sliding glass door, as a chief, am I going to be more comfortable that a brand new lighter truck that's in service that Tim Nagum set it up hours before at a ranch and I visually got to see that he knows the controls on a brand new ladder truck different than anyone we own. What's that going to do for my confidence? Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. We'll pull a fire truck out in front of a firehouse and gauge the pump. I love this too, man. <laughs> I don't mean to offend nobody. Go, go. But I love it when a suburban driver engineer operator knows exactly what fire they're going to. They'll pull the rig out and they'll preset their relief valve. Man, can they come ride with me and predict what fire I'm going to? Because they'll do that, run seven medical calls, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, they're so damn tired, and they did an extended stretch or beyond the pre-connect, something crazy, and the rig is screaming. But a pump discharge pressure won't go above 90. They can't remember that 23 hours before, seven med calls ago, they preset it for the car fire they thought they were going to go to. There's 100 people now thinking, damn, I'm a dumbass. No, I was there too. Trust yes. me. Anything I'm passionate about, it's probably because I made the mistake, right? Like, you got to think about what you're going to not think about when you're tired. And I'm going to go back to one of my sayings. Everybody's got the answers to the test until it's time to take the test. Yeah. And I got to tell you this, since we're talking about roof operations. Okay. If... A firefighter's, let's just say a 24, it, whether it needs to be extended, it don't matter if it's a one-story or two-story. Okay. Ladders to the building. And they're going to need a roof ladder on the roof. They're going to use the roof ladder on the roof. And a firefighter brings over a 14-foot straight, 16-foot straight. You know what I mean? If you're, you know, if you're an urban city and you got one longer than 16, badass, awesome, love it. But it's a 14 or a 16. And there's another thing. We'll get off this in a little bit. But we were at Eric Tolan's firehouse on Federal Boulevard in Denver. And great thing that some fire departments are doing. Instead of every engine having a 24 and 14, some engines are carrying a 28 and a 16. Because now you already know the other engines coming are going to have a 24 and 14. That's something else the fire service needs to be evaluating. And every rig don't have to be a 24 and a 14. But anyways, when they bring that ladder, And hopefully, you know what I mean, somebody's climbed up it already like 14 feet, you know, or seven feet, whatever, however you're trained on a balance point. Is two people going to carry, like is it the Milwaukee, or two people carry it up and we don't have time to train. And I always try to think about your listeners not being able to see us tonight for a week from now. But right, if they butt the ladder, they butt the ladder and the bottom rung touches the beam of the, the ladder that's raised to the building, and then they prop it up to a firefighter that's on the ladder. What should we do with the hooks before we put it and take it up to the roof? Yeah. Yeah. Put them out. Yeah. Put them out. Because if not, a guy's going to be on the roof or a gal or whoever, a wannabe firefighter, and they're going to be up there trying to hold the rung while they're pushing in on the spring. And it might be a brand new ladder where the spring's still tough when somebody on the ground could have just boom, boom. Yeah. And now when it's laid and we 
push it up onto the roof and you slide it up to the peak when you drop it in position. The hooks okay. are ready to do what they're made to do. Right? But you'll tell somebody that and they'll say, yeah, I know. Well, why in the hell didn't you do it? Right. That's the, no. the answer my whole career. I'm like, hey, you should do this. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm talking about it because you didn't do it. So right. if you know, like everybody knows. that That's the thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you, why didn't you do it? Well, it was just a small fire. Hey, man, why'd you get off the hose on? Ah, the fire was out. So do you think it's just a, an accountability? Do you think it's just a lack of consequence? It's a lack of coming close to death. It's a lack of having a personal friend die in a fire. It's a lack of studying the job and getting up close and personal with line of duty deaths around the country where people died from a kitchen fire like Oscar Armstrong or a mattress like Stephen Solomon or the three brothers in Keokuk, Iowa that nobody knows about. Right? See, they just went to a fire in an apartment building hmm. with a brother that loves the job like however many people are listening tonight, he's not with us anymore. He's not here. See, he might have been into the job more than anybody else on that job. I don't know who was at that fire. He loved the fire service. He was into the job. He was drilling. He was training. Man, if you hadn't watched the video of him on Instagram, man, make sure you got you some, some tissues, right? See, it's almost like in a fire service, you got to stay close and personal how people get injured and killed. They get killed at, it was just a kitchen fire. It was just another apartment fire. The fire was out. Phoenix, man, years ago, fired a carpet warehouse, extinguished before the arrival of the Phoenix Fire Department by sprinkler heads. They got off the hose line. They were disoriented, right? They're alive because the Phoenix Fire Department's badass. They're great. They cut through. They got them out. ALS on a fire ground. I'll tell you, that's one thing, too, man. Like, the fire service having paramedics on a fire ground is in the top 10 insurance policies we can have. Brothers helping brothers when there's a medical emergency. But um, I hope I answered Todd's question. Um, is the more we can do it to take the shake out, whether it's that first time you're driving a rig and you're right leg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The bounce. The yes. first time you size it up and you're on the microphone and you're just a shake and, and all you're worried about your tone of voice and how it sounds. It's like you think you're talking to the fire buffs in the world instead of just telling us, man, I got a working fire. It's out seven windows on a second floor. It's a working fire. Right on. That's all anybody needs to know, man. Like, you know, don't try to be too cool for school. And I want to say this um, on the relation to that other thing is, Number one job, and we talked about this when we were driving to Colorado down to Gunnison the other day. Number one job, fire ground commander. Number one job of battalion chief. Eliminate every ounce of complacency on a fire ground. Boom. It's the chief's job that when a firefighter that's ran seven medical calls well, the chief got to sleep the last five hours. And when the chief gets there and it's 4 o'clock in the morning, that firefighter's been up all night. The lieutenant's been up and trying to do their fire reports because when they get off, they got to go home to a four-year-old where, you know, the spouse hadn't been able to sleep. It's the chief's job to make sure they were rested enough that at 4 o'clock in the morning, they notice the hazards, the dangers, and they protect 
their battalion, their department, the people in the box alarm from complacency and not purpose laziness, but exhaustion. They're just tired, right? Yes, yes. And and you can't be worried about if they're mad. And I struggle with it, man. We're on 48s now. Like what I'll ask them to do on a first night at a job is different than what I ask them to do on a second night. I well, that's know a, that's the and danger. Sure. That's the danger of complacency is it does not give a shit about yeah. who you are or how good you were the last call. It will reach up and grab you and wrap its tendrils around you and drag you down there and say, don't worry about putting that. Don't worry about buckling your freaking SCBA. What, what's it matter? Oh, you don't get me started on that one now. I'll call you out on the radio for everybody. Oh, so let's talk about that. Oh, hold, man, on, I- hold on. Hold on, chief. We can't. We can't. It's 928. We promise people a ten. <laughs> we promise people a ten minute break at nine thirty. So I'm, I don't want to get you too fired up more than Todd already did. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk about why I call things over the radio. So the whole all eighteen on the fire ground here. It's not to humiliate. It's not to embarrass the one firefighter. It's not at their expense. It's at our expense that I don't tell them and then tell the other ones over the next three years. And I want to talk about that just for three minutes because I think it's critical for any company officers and chiefs listening why sometimes we advertise not our failures, not anybody else's failures, just a little mistake. And to be honest with you, it's not even a mistake. They just didn't know because we didn't teach them. If you don't teach them, they don't know. So I know right. it's not 30. And so, oh, hey, hey, you got to do what I do. At do it. Do conference. it. You better do it right now. Okay. Get out your phones, buddy. Yes. Your yes. phones. You got to stay live. So yes. get out another phone. Get out your watch. And you're going to set the timer, right? Count it down, Chief. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One, carry it away, Corley. Let's do this, brother. Welcome back from the break. Everybody in their seats, hope you enjoyed the... This is the thing. This is what Chief Ike does. He he comes up with these crazy ideas and says, hey, how about in the middle of the scrap, you have a break that's planned? No one's ever thought of that before Kurt came on on number 200, and so we did it. And so thank you for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed the video he played through there. Uh, Part two, get, get fired up. Everybody's here. Um, Chief, I don't know where you want to pick up from where we left off. We have so much planned. No, I go use ahead. my and and and, I, and and listen, folks. I'm, I want to educate you something. When you go to a seminar or a conference, and somebody's been on stage working their ass off for the last hour, hour and a half, two hours teaching, don't go up and ask them questions on their break. It's their break too. They need a mental break. They've been talking nonstop and even breathing. And so while you were on your break, I was reading comments because I don't have time the last hour and a half to read them. So I'm going to answer a few of the comments based on my post. All right, words per second. I'm going to put you on words per second. That's Absolutely, Ryan uh, from the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely, Ryan, don't set up the ladder in every building. Never say never, never say always. That's when people take things out of context. It all depends. The other day when Ladder 12 showed up, five engine companies were on scene, four people. There was like 23 people on a fire ground when Ladder 12 got there. I mean, like, don't take things out of context, people. Just take it for what it's worth, right? 
Absolutely. Yes. Never say never. Never say always. I mean, shit, if Ladder 12's first due on a damn three-story house, we're probably not setting the ladder up. They're going for search. Hell, they might be stretching an attack line off their 300-gallon booster tank. Hell, it, and it might be a one-inch line to conserve water. I don't know. Calm down. Don't start typing. And you'll damn get arthritis. I mean, just chill out. Take it for what it's worth. Filter out what you like. And the rest, just let it go in the trash. Love it. I love it. Alt-delete. People got to stop taking instructors, speakers, and trying to dissect, divert, or try to make yourself. And and not to say it, because some of my friends do this. I'll post something, and they don't even realize how disrespectful they're being to me. I don't give a shit because I got thick skin. But all you're doing is embarrassing yourself when you got to come in to get your name and my post. Don't make your own post, right? I've almost never got on a friend's post or somebody else's post to disagree with them. To say, no, this is what y'all to do. It ought to be a two and a half. Now, it should be an inch and three quarter. I mean, like, just take it for what it's worth, man. You're, you're just taking away from the message. See, you need to stay in your lane. That's what you need to do. And I, I want to talk about staying in lanes. All right. All right. Most dangerous place in America to drive is a rural two-lane road with a dotted line. Hmm. Most dangerous place in the world with the least amount of traffic. It's the most deadly and dangerous road to drive on with a dotted yep. line down there. The safest place is the L.A. freeway, five, six, seven, eight lines. The Audubon with no speed limit. Cars on the L.A. freeway cutting in and out of traffic every single day. And how many, And no wrecks. Yeah, they happen sometimes. And when they happen, they can be bad. So if you're operating in the L.A. freeway world, put your damn foot to the pedal, and get in whatever lane you want to get in. If you're living in rural America and your mind is limited to a backwoods two-lane road, you probably ought to stay in your lane. Don't take a chance when you go over the hill and you come to the dotted line. Just pretend it's a solid line the entire journey in life. And you can just stay right behind that 1977 F-150 that Pawpaw's driving. And you'll just get to where you're going when Papa gets there. Because your ass ought to stay in your lane. But if you're going to ride with me, like my buddy Rob Fisher, I hope he's still listening. When he was in Colorado this last week, him and Jody came to hang out with Jessica and Lucas and I. I bet you at least four or five times I got on that freeway, that interstate in Denver, and I put the gas to the pedal. I said to Rob, is why you don't buy anything but an eight-cylinder. You're going to live in an eight-cylinder world, drive an eight-cylinder vehicle. You're going to drive a four-banger and get your ass on a two-lane road. Don't get out of your lane and stay behind whoever's in front of you. And right to my buddy Matt Scallon, I don't split speeding tickets. You're driving, it's at your expense. I'm driving, it's at my expense. Right we ain't splitting speeding tickets. If I'm going to pay a speeding ticket, I'm the one that's going to be enjoying driving fast and enjoying the thrill. So 
Um, you know, I, I could talk for hours about, you know, staying in your lane. And I want to say this, man. This isn't anything anybody said recently. Like, that's probably the most common thing I've been hearing for over a decade. And I, I've never really used that term. I don't like the term. I'll tell you the term I'm guilty of using, and I'm going to make a public apology tonight. Johnny come late. Maybe it's don't be a long time. That's what I'll say. You know what, man? Why do these Johnny come lately think they can come in here and do this and that? And, yada? and I apologize. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Because Johnny or Susie come lately is the fire service. And they're going to be the smartest fire service. And we need them because they're going to make the difference. What I want to ask all of you that have got 30 years on a job or maybe 25 or 35 or 40 years. And I said only five times. Hard to use one. When the fuck are you going to consciously pass the baton and take it to the house? Because I'm thinking about it all the time. And I'm not talking about quitting anytime soon. I'm thinking about how am I going to control myself? Because I made up with it. I'm obsessed with it. I drove my dad after Jonathan Kanzig said, man, he, he, he's done. My dad was dying of multiple models. I got pictures. I drove my dad up to his office three weeks short of 81, took him into Midway's fire station, had him clean out his office on a Sunday, put his shit in the car, and I drove him home. My dad talked more negative, cussed me out. My dad didn't use curse words. Cussed me out driving him to the firehouse. I said, Dad, it's not an option. I can do it or we can do it together. And since then, on numerous occasions, I thought about, I don't want to be the guy that's holding a baton and I'm going to lose the relay. Mm. I'm consciously, th- I don't know if it's going to be a year Five years, 20 years, I don't know, but it's on my mind already. Right. I, I'm gonna do it. And, and I want to share something. You know, I talk about, you know, you know, my dad obviously, Pat Grace was a, you know, a massive impact on my career and subjected me to FDNY. That's why I got that radio strap 25 plus years ago. Chief Pat Grace helped me get a Halligan tool and an eight-pound axe back in I, I want to say 96, 97, before it, we him and I went row to Springfield Deuce in Jacksonville. But I'm thinking about like consciously picking a day, man, where I'm passing a baton to somebody else. I- I'm moving out of the way to let them have it. You know, it's um like Brian Rush, man, like that that guy gets it. He he calls me, you know, I don't know what it was, two years ago. It might have, you know, and then we had this conversation on the dock last year when he was staying at my house, but it's like him giving up the exponential engine, the PowerPoint. He's the one that right. motivated me to give up people before water and wanting to give up more PowerPoints. Um, and I've always been somebody. You can video me. Shit, Kyle Ramos has got more damn audio on me. I mean, he could probably incriminate me and get me a third-degree felon. I'm sure I've said something stupid he's got recorded. But I don't care if somebody records me, takes pictures. I don't care what they do, man. Like, I mean, if you can figure out how to make my PowerPoint work for you, that's great. Cause I'm, you know, I mean, I talked the first four hours on the and get the four slides. So right. if it works for you, that's great. But like, stop worrying about it. When you, I'm going to just be honest with you. When somebody says, and, and I've been guilty, I already admitted to it, but I want, I want senior people listening. I think about this. When you let that trash come out of your mouth and you say, stay in your lane. 
You just admitted to the American Fire Service you're insecure that somebody's knocking on your back door. Somebody's possibly got a program or something that's going to keep you from getting a gig, you teaching somewhere, or their shadow is going to be a little larger than yours. Start doing some soul search. Boom. Up your game. Because it doesn't matter what occupation is. When somebody says stay in your lane, that means you threatened them. That means like in NASCAR, you know, they only go one way. So it's not like it's a very educated sport. They just turn the same way. That's at least what they tell me. I've never watched a race before. That's not true. I went to the Atlanta Speedway with my buddy Johnny Workman, and it's the longest freaking rain delay ever because they just wanted to get, I don't know, they said you got to get one lap past half the lap so they don't have to have your money back or some shit. But that's the last time I ever went to a damn NASCAR <laughs> race. And the only three I know about is in the South Bronx, Rescue 3, covers, you know, Harlem. But um, so, um, and no disrespect to Dale Earnhardt. Shit, don't shoot me. I just see what, what happens when you start just free talking. No disrespect. But think about this. What do they say in NASCAR? Rubbin's racing, baby. Rubbin's racing. Mm. Let's challenge each other. And I want to give a shout out to Steve Kerber and Key Stakes, man. Some of the two most emotionally intelligent, most professional people that want to see a greater fire service. Because mm. you know what, man? I'll speak for myself. I spit in their face. I punched them. I was rude. Whatever. I mean, I might be embellishing a little bit, but, you know, I can promise you this, man. They pulled me in. And, I, man, I, I can't, like, I mean, I got the head over there. The FI, I was going to change hats every five minutes, but I thought I'd get exhausting. So I got my FSRI hat out there. And, like, what they're doing, man, is there's there's no personalities involved. It's like we want to give out a message. We want it to be a consortium of rural, suburban, urban, and I've got to see it firsthand, man. They're, it's real. It's not fake. They want to get out the best message, um, and I think they would, you know, if it came down to it, they probably wish that they didn't do the exterior study before the interior. Mm-hmm. But man, when you got, you're trying to do a million things, you know, nothing's going to be perfect, but, you know, UL and FSRI, Steve Kerber, Key Sticks, those guys weren't worried about who was in what lane. Shit, they wanted the entire freeway. They were ready to do, put Jersey barriers up, do a roadblock and take accountability and lock everybody in one building to get to dissect and get their opinion. Right. That's what we need, man. Like, and, and I'll tell you number one, and I've told people on the CFT team this number one complaint, number one complaint I get. And it's not that they don't like the speakers. It's not, they don't like the instructors. They're just like, Hey, we love coming to Pensacola beach. We love the shuttles. We love the organized socials. We love the CFT team. We love that it's family. When it gets down to it is we want to hear somebody different. Right. And their biggest complaint is you just keep bringing your same, but this is like, they don't all say it. These are my words. You just bring your buddies here and you're, you just change up what time of the day they teach. And at the end of the day, like we're looking for somebody new, something new out there, you know? And um, I've been struggling this for years, man, because one of the reasons the conferences started was to bring my friends here, my buddies here. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, man, like, and my struggle is too, is I've always said it, man. Like, you know, our time will come and I want to get every bit of knowledge I can from the veterans, you know, from Chief Dunn, man. I read it. Chief Dunn's still putting stuff out, man. I, I bought every book. He just came out with another book. Like right. I right. want to own every book he's got. I'm going to read his post. 
um, you know, every day. And so I have a struggle of like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to read their stuff and I want them to speak. But how do I build in, you know, um, you know, Jeff Rothmeyer? I mean, right. like, like, I mean, I, it, like, I'm just trying to find a time to like read his book. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I can do so many names and, 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 you know, I don't know if he's listening tonight, but Grant and the guys, Grant Schwab and the guys from um, the he's first there. year of the FDIC, yeah. Yeah. and they were teaching a search class. And it was just genuine, man. I, I mean, I'd already been thinking about this topic that we're talking about, but they were at um, uh, the restaurant, the yard house, that's right next to the Hampton Inn where all the instructors are. Well, it's right next door, you know what I mean? And they got everything from chicken, steaks, hamburgers. So it's just, it's a big place. So I remember like yesterday walking over to their table, man, and it was a table of badasses, the right. whole table. And it was a diverse group. And I was like, man, y'all are awesome. You need to be here. And when I, this last FDIC, um, I, I purposely just made myself available. Brush picked me up on Sunday night and I hung out with him and Brush like, where do you want to go? Like, I wanted to go see the search class. You know I mean? Eric Wheaton's there and Grant's there and, you know, some other phenomenal firefighters. And it's a damn well put together program. <laughs> Most of them have probably not made a bunch of grabs. Can you even put a group together that want to teach at FDIC or a conference that have made a bunch of grabs? Right. No, right. we're not putting in. So why not put in people that are going to make sure that the information's solid? Most of them firefighters have been to Jim's place, so they've done, you know, I mean, they've been to the Disney World. They've already gone to FDTN, and they've studied, read, done everything. Man, I want my kids taking their class if they were to get in a fire service, you know? Oh, yes. And so, oh, yes. And I don't know and, how many years And that is that the point. ultimate test of, of like, I mean this because, and I want to reference this because you sent me a, uh, some screenshots a couple weeks ago uh, of Trevor texting you uh-huh. because Trevor is your oldest. Yeah. He's interested in the fire service a little bit. He, he's, he's, he's dipping his toe, so to speak, is probably a good way to say it. Yes, absolutely. Well, he's listening tonight, but he's in the New Yorker on uh, 8th Avenue near rescue one he's there for internship at columbia hospital he texted me a little bit going in and that high rise his stuff's buffering so howard right. reinwald did too so some people it's not you it's just wherever they are no 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 the, the stream is strong but definitely where you're living and and don't get me wrong uh zuckerberg is doing his bit but um you referenced it because you sent me a thing that said uh in 70 it was number 70 i thought it might have been 100 it was oh, he's already listened to all three of them he listened to one that was we went till midnight it was like three and a half hours long right and and he's he's studying other stuff, man. Like right. he sent me a, a screenshot of the rescue one video and um you know Ray's Ray McCormick. Yes. Yeah, he's almost like an uncle to him. He grew like I mean the my kids know these guys, and he's like, Well, I knew Mr. Ray had made a big rescue, but I didn't know it was this one. And so for him, it was so awesome to just relate the two, you know. And you know, Trevor, I think he's gonna, you know, probably do the fire service for a little bit. It's not gonna be a career. And you know, at the end of the day. Him talking about that while he studies for the MCAT to go to med school, maybe thinking about some other things that that's an intelligent way of thinking, man. Life is right. long. You don't have to do something forever. Dabbling. And just like if you're in a fire department and you're not happy, move, man. Change. Go to another fire department. Um, find out. And you might regret it. And I'll say this shout out to Escambia County Fire Rescue. Factual statement. If I had a Bible here, I'd put my hand on it. 
almost every single person, almost every single firefighter that's left the Scambia County Fire Rescue left for more money and what they thought was a better benefit package. You know what? Almost every single one of them have either told me or somebody else in confidence. Uh, it says, I want to hear this part. They regretted leaving. Yes. They said where they're at can't touch a Scambia County Fire Rescue with a thousand foot pole when it comes to culture, brotherhood, and downright blue collar, dirty firefighting. Boom. We are the cowboys and we're proud of it. And no disrespect, man, because people have left to go all over the state of Florida. They've gone to other states. They've even gone to jobs outside of fire service. You know, never say all, but I'm telling you, man, the number is astronomical that have left and they regretted leaving and or maybe they didn't regret leaving, but they said they miss it and what they're getting will never compare to the broke down poor Escambia County Fire Rescue that goes to jobs, goes to fires, and when something happens to a firefighter, the way people come together, and that we don't worry about nickel and dime bullshit stuff, you know what I mean, that goes on, like, like people do stuff, firefighting stuff, man, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yes, you know, and at the end I'll of say the day, this. I'll say this, you said it best, he said, we are the Cowboys, we love it. I, dude, that encapsulates it right there, that is culture. Uh, I love Frank Leap. I love Frank Leap. He said, we are the FDNY. We play for keeps. It. I don't care if you're a Scambia County, you're FDNY. You just encapsulated it right there. Does that make sense? No, absolutely, man. Like, embrace it. Be proud of yes. it, man. That, that's fine. Now, I want to tell everybody this. I, 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 you know, I am 19 and a half years as a battalion chief. I've never broke $84,000 on my last pay stub in the end of December up till now. 19-year battalion chief, Metro County Fire Department, nearly two dozen fire stations, 350,000 population, busiest fire department in all of probably North Florida. I've never broke 84,000. There's firefighters with less than five years watching tonight that have made more than 100,000. I've never, ever, ever in my career as a firefighter on my W-9 end-of-the-year tax return broke 84000 ever once in my career. This year, I'll break eighty-four because I got a couple of raises. Nice. Um, but you know Fire. what? It, you know what? I don't care. Right. That's I've not how you're doing it. Right. Ten years ago, I was offered jobs at other fire departments with six figures. They weren't going to fires. I'm not going. All right, so, Chief. I'm, oh, go ahead. I don't, I, I, yeah, I'm well, going to stop. But uh, Marco, I still asked this question earlier. He said, this question is for Corley. That's coming at me. Uh, did you think you would make it to 200? Do you have a takeaway from the other 199? Congrats, my friend. Thank you, Marco. And 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 um, did I ever think I'd make it to 200? No, even even last week, I didn't know if I'd make it to 200. Even earlier today, I didn't know. Uh, the takeaways from the other 199 is look at look at the uh, the interview that's going on right now and the passion that comes every week on the scrap. Like, I know this is 200. I know Ike is uh, in a class all his own, but, man, it's just week in, week out. And so to answer your question is, yes, I did believe I'd get here. No, I didn't understand how lucky I was to get here. So if that's the short answer, long answer. So, anyway, Chief, back to you. I wanted to well, answer. No, I'm, glad, I'm glad I did that because 
I talked to you today, and yes. I didn't want to blindside you. So how does it feel from when you first started, and it's like, you know, the first so many episodes, and you're asking people, to now from becoming more of a target, or you know that people are talking behind your back saying, well, you know, Corley just interviews a bunch of people and then he writes a book on their stuff and makes money off of it. Or, right. you, know, um, you know, yeah, Corley and his wife, they're just crazy. All they're ever doing is just promoting the mutts and the scrap. And <laughs> I mean, I, I truly don't even know what's been said. I'm just making up stuff. I mean, sure. like at the end of the day, I just know what people say behind my back and I just laugh about it. Right. You know, I said it on a doc video, like, you know, like, you know, people will be like, oh, look what he's got from his conferences. Like, you know what? I look, you know, what What I have is because Jessica and I drew out and built two houses. We've made more money off of real estate than we have anything else. You know what I mean? They, that bought the jet skis and a boat. And, um, you know, your parents can die, too, and you can get their stuff if you want. You know what I mean? Like, and and I, I don't mean that derogatory. It's the truth. It's like seeing somebody going by on a yacht and you're like, it must be nice. What if they could have, their kids could have died in a wreck and it was an insurance policy? I think they'd much rather have their kids. So be careful when you say it must be nice because you really don't know what somebody paid to get something. You know, pull the curtains back, what's behind it. So now I'm going to shut up and let you answer. But um, (laughs) I just want you to talk about the feel of, you know, I don't, I hate the word notoriety, but you know what I'm saying? Becoming more known in the fire service, a target, um, you know, uh, the feeling that, People told you no, and then I know other people, myself, have advocated for you and said, hey, man, Corley's good. You ought to do it. Yes. And just kind of give the audience a little bit of spiel of the journey, whether it's the book, whether it's the speaking, getting told no, and then all of a sudden you're getting told yes and how that feels. Man, um, dude, that's a lot to unpack in that question. But 100% is uh, you know that, like, you you posted a picture today of me and you up there holding that 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 wooden uh, people before water plaque. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I say this often, but I am the luckiest dude in the fire service. I am the luckiest dude in the fire service. And I mean, it from the bottom of my heart um, is the fact that I didn't know you five years ago. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know you, but I consider you one of my closest friends. I didn't know Kyle Romagas five years ago, Howard Reinwald, Clyde, Clyde Gordon, Frank Lee, Frank Fiskuso. I didn't know any of these people five years ago. And all of a sudden, I consider all of them, like, I talked to Frank Fiscuso on the phone yesterday on, on a very near and personal topic. And I am, you know, you say we are the lucky ones. Out of the lucky ones, I am the lucky one. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, uh, I am the luckiest person in the fire service to be able to do what I do and interview you on number 200 and and be asked a question like that and just say, no, I'm just the luckiest uh brother i i still struggle with someone's going to call me up and say hey it's all a joke brother no one this is all a joke no one's actually watching and that that that's my own insecurities playing out does that make sense absolutely like you know and and i you don't you'll never really know your impact on somebody 3 months from now driving to the firehouse, listening to the scrap, whoever you're talking to. And probably more powerful from somebody that, you know, should be known, but it's not known because, you know what I mean? They're yes. some of the greatest people in the fire service don't write articles. They don't teach at conferences. Absolutely. 
there's just too much to give at their own organization, but they're hearing that person as they're driving their firehouse, dreading getting out of their car and walking in because of the harassment of being yes. in the job and more interested in going and putting their gear on the rig and changing out the battery and they're stressed because they're going to want to ask about the calls and the person that we're leaving is going to say, it's got four wheels, round, rubber, and roll. What else you need to know? Because that's the shit, man. We, you know, like there's no job that doesn't have that person that, that passed down. It's got four wheels, round, rubber, and rolls. I mean, like, you know, and then you're, you're hoping you're going to relieve the person. It's going to be like, yeah, we had a little fire in a mobile home yesterday. And, you know, we want to get, you know, John, a new guy you know into it so we busted out the steel you know cut off saw and we use this blade but we refueled it and we checked the right. spark plug right. like that's what everybody wants that that's who everybody wants to relieve but it's not reality man right and you know um sam if you would um i can't remember what order i told him i told him you, you can put the picture up of of me with the guys all the guys and about a hydrant um but you know, when I was a young firefighter, a junior firefighter, and this kind of goes with like you, like, you know, like asking, did you think you'd get to 200? Right. When I was a junior firefighter, you know, and I'd already been going, you know, to fires and calls. Not, to, not that they were a bunch. I mean, Midway was only running, you know, I don't know what we were running, six, seven, eight hundred calls a year, maybe. Pick us up, just so you know. And, um, you know, my dad had the Florida State Fire College coming into Midway in the 70s, like literally sending instructors up, you know, teaching, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, 16-hour programs. But as a junior firefighter, we ran scenarios in a drill tower with all junior firefighters, like, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, just had to have somebody drive the rig. And we did no different than what we do with the beyond minimum standards at Escambia, catching hydrants, laying hose, stretching lines. I mean, there was a big, huge center thing in the in the Northwest Florida Daily News, the Fort Walton Destin newspaper, right? Like nineteen ninety, and it's <laughs> me. You know, people pick on me thinking I'm young now as a chief. Nineteen ninety, I was standing out in front of the two and a half story drill tower like I was the chief, commanding twenty junior firefighters operating out of our Detroit rescue, our. 1980 no 1981 1983 e1 commercial chassis engines no five inches three inch supply and i was running for my scambia brothers i was running scenarios like i do with our new folks now like we're engine one reverse out you know truck ladder 11 go to the roof and like i'm just like command i was doing that 33 years ago my dad was setting me up for being a chief one day right, and right. so when we talk about you not knowing 200 I was doing that then, man. I didn't know where I was going to be. Yeah. Um, I never even thought about like teaching at Firehouse or FDIC. And I definitely never thought about writing an article. I mean, I mean, literally, I barely got out of high school. I was so scared of putting anything on paper because I just had tubes in my ears as a kid. I could never learn I E I O U. I mean, like, I just, like, it was right. my biggest insecurity was writing. My English and grammar is still horrendous. I just don't give a shit anymore. I'm past it. I don't care about people talking behind my back. And a shout out to Rich, man. Peter Matthews has got a guy, Rich, that he fixes my articles when I send them to him for Firehouse. And he does it for other people. And I've had other people tell me, man, that, you know, anybody sends something to somebody like that, they got to tweak it and fix it. I mean, even if it was an English teacher almost. But he does an awesome job on mine. And so, you know, I'm doing that like at Firehouse to – you know, to, to work towards putting a book together that, you know, Kyle's going to write while I'm speaking. 
Right. Yes. At boot camp with battalion chief. He's going to write it with a dry erase marker. But where I want to go, this is like you, you, you weren't focused on 200. It wouldn't no. be successful when you had number one. If you're like, I want to 200, like then no. one through 199. And I want to give a shout out to you, Corley. You are so professional and not me, man. Cause you know, I mean, like to me, like the, the big guys, one of my biggest top 10 mentors is coming on scrap 202. Yes. Yes. Mike Lombardo. Um, man, I, I don't know. He's ridden with me, you know, I, more than a dozen times. I've been to a lot of fires with him where he was rivaling me and I was battalion two in Escambia. His impact is crazy on me. But if, if Mike Lombardo's coming five scraps from now, and you got somebody that maybe it's not a big name, you're not promoting Mike Lombardo or me, you know, whatever. Like, you take each week at a time. And I want to tell you, man, that's that that's a phenomenal business model. That's professional. You're focused on your next speaker, even though you have the next six lined up. You're not throwing them out to the fire service. So somebody says, I'm going to skip this week. I'll just do next week when so-and-so comes. And I noticed that. And I'm sorry. You know, yeah. I think that's why you made it to 200, because you weren't worried about getting to 200. Corley was worried about, shit, man, is, is, is one going to go okay? Is somebody going to listen? And then you got to two, and you're like, well, man, that was pretty cool. And I'm sure that as the number grew, you're, like, pinching yourself, and, like, this is pretty cool. And, I mean. They keep saying yes. I don't know why they keep saying yes, but it, but it keeps that. No, you are 100% correct, because um, – it's always this just it's almost like when you talk to the 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 Bill 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 Belichick, Nick Saban, you've seen yeah. the interviews and they're like, What are you what are you thinking about? It's like the next game. I'm not worried about the Super Bowl, I'm worried about the, yeah. the game next week. Absolutely. You know, and Nick Saban. Yes. They were asking him about like who's number one. Nick Saban said, uh, well, I think Georgia is. I hate to say that because of David Rhodes, but he said, I, I think the Georgia Bulldogs. And didn't they win the national championship last year? I, I'd say they're number one until somebody else wins it. Now, that is something to write down. Nick Saban's saying that, right? He's not up there saying, hey, we're number one. In fact, he's the number one coach in the country that warns his alumni that, hey, our our next loss is probably next Saturday. He I want to say it was a game against Texas. Yes. And I study him and, and other coaches about leadership. Absolutely. He he said we're going to lose. Like, it was recorded without, like, saying it. He doesn't want to, like, you know, he wants his team to be ready. But he knows he's dealing with people that are used to winning, whether it's players, staff, other coaches, and his alumni specifically. The boosters. Yes, yeah, especially, they, yeah, the boosters, yeah. And I'm a booster with – we're a booster with uh, the Gators – they're they're out of control, man. They are sickos, like pathetic. You want to talk about Monday morning quarterbacking? I mean, hell, every coach in the SEC sucks after they lose. I mean, it doesn't matter the 30 wins they had before that. But Nick Saban is, like what I said earlier, a Chiefs job is to eliminate all complacency. A football coach like Nick Saban, right, you know, or Dabo Sweeney or, you know, I mean, Coach Napier is doing awesome things on a recruit, recruitment trail, you know, Coach Napier is not worried about this football season. I'm not going into it unrealistic. He's worried about two seasons from now, three seasons. Give me four seasons to get an entire freshman to senior class. You know what I mean? Like he's yes. looking at freshmen in high school. That's visionary thinking. But 
Luke Saban's like the, the, the battalion chief, the fire ground commander. That's like, you know what, folks? We're playing at their stadium. It's rough. We got to be ready. Yes. We're only one game away from losing. That's it. And the scrap 200 wouldn't be here if you weren't worried about, hey, I just got to get scrap three. Yes. And it's got to be quality. And I'll tell you, I told Jessica this. Like, you know, I wasn't stressed out about tonight. I wasn't nervous. But I put more preparation, more time into this scrap than I did the three before this together. Nice. Possibly every podcast. And I loved being on Fit to Fight Fire with um, Johnson and and, and Spare. And I'm going to do something with them again. Um, and, and I've enjoyed every podcast I've done. Yes. But I put more time into this than every podcast I've ever done because somebody tonight is giving up their night to listen to me that's possibly, you know, going to Chivike.com and listen to every podcast I've ever done with whoever does podcasts. I don't want them to ever be like, well, shit, man, he doesn't, you know, give anything new. It's the same. Like, I can tell you this right now is we were on the phone today, eight hours ago, talking about the new stuff. And he said, hey, just if I start going on to you said this, you said, if I start going on to old topics, say words per second and, and get me back on. Hey, go listen to the old podcast so that we can cover new stuff tonight. And that's an amazing thing. No, absolutely. I took my helmet off because I went and got a haircut for this thing, man. Love and it. I called you um, while I was driving home, and I got notes, man, like right here, just real quick. Thermal saturation. Yes. Speaking uh, national circuit teachers, oversaturating the market, like to where you're not going to get called anymore. Um, biggest impact. Original goal CFT and, and you know, what I'm most proud of. Biggest regret. Stay motored. SFSRI. Little water line selection and what we've learned on doing it. Um, we already covered the UK trip, you know, CFT and, and the prices that we charge and why we charge them and how to make it work and how to compensate the instructors. Um, and the list goes on, man. And then I got another thing here. Scrap 200. That was from like two weeks ago when I was, um, I, I'd read it, but I never finished it. The book Outliers. And I was reading Outliers about 10,000 hours to be an expert. Yes. yes. Um, you know, reading people in the from the railroad and how many of the the like the richest people in the world were born in like 1835 or whatever it was. I got all that stuff. It didn't matter. But um, and I want to just talk about like in the Outliers book, the Beatles talk about scrap 200 and you know learning things like a break from tonight, regardless of whose idea it was. Like you know having a break and you know how can a scrap be long and how can it be short and how do you package it for somebody listening to that doesn't visually see it? Like I told Corley. We were going to put up these pictures, but I, I wanted to know that it wouldn't matter if somebody didn't see it. You know what I'm right, saying? Like, it's right. going to take away from it. And it just talks about the, the Beatles in Hamburg, Germany. Eight hours, seven days a week. First trip, 106 nights, five hours. Second trip to Hamburg, Germany, 92 times. Third trip, 48 times. Like, the number of times the Beatles went and played in a no like no place nobody nobody showed yeah nobody showed and they played and they played and they played when nobody was watching and i'm gonna tell you something when i talk about training when nobody's watching i think of brian olson and i know most people forgot about him because he's you know he's out there but you want to watch some cool shit man go look check out brian olson on instagram and what he's doing and his rocks and his thing I, i'm telling you like lucas will be going off to college next year 
it's it's on my to-do list to hire Brian Olson. Let me fly to Eagle, Idaho. Right on. And make me a man in a week. I just want I just want Brian Olson to make me a man in a week. Like right on. You know, scare the shit out of me. Take me on whitewater rafting. I'm not gonna carry them rocks like he does, but I just want to go for a week and then my hands come back and look like like maybe like one one hundredth of what his hands look like. Um and I say to this day, he built the best door prop that I've ever, you know, used. Um you know, if I'm telling somebody to buy one, you know, I'm gonna, you know, probably tell them to to, you know, if they if they if they're tight budget, you know, buy one from from uh, Justin and Brian. Um, you know, the, the Woods Force Bluntry problem. You, you know, if you can afford it, your fire departments look at what Todd Shepard has and, and everybody yeah. else. I got a yeah. tax store. We no, got no, they're all over. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm not. It all depends on how much money you got to spend. But you want to talk about a door, the door that Brian Olson built, and there's only one of them. It's down in Del Norte, Colorado. We had him bring it up to Gunnison. It's the best door prop ever. Nice. You know, and it's probably sentimental to me because Brian Olson made it and then drove some 14 hours. I'm an idiot. I didn't know how far he was driving, man. Like, I thought, you know, like Boise, Eagle, Idaho, man, Colorado shit, they'd probably be there in about four hours. Man, I, I don't know where Cheyenne is. I mean, I mean, they it's they talk about it in the George Strait song, but shit, I just know they got cowboys out there. Um, So I didn't have a kind of a clue of where the distance is it's like somebody saying hey i'm coming to florida and they're going to the miami i'm like man i can drive to chicago quicker and drive to miami from you know pensacola beach um but where i wanted to go with this is i'm still trying to go over about you getting a 200 like if you want to do a fire conference you want to do a podcast you want to do something great you better be ready for the long haul Right on, bro. Man, and, and nobody's coined it. So stop saying stay in your lane when somebody makes a sticker and you think you came up with a shit. Ain't nobody listening to Dyke came up with shit. All of you got it from somebody else. Everything I do, I got from somebody. I could consciously say I don't know where I got it from. Dude, man, like when I'm writing command success article or column, every time I'm writing it, I think about like, Vincent Dunn, Bill Gustin, and all their stuff. I'm just like writing it, man. Like even this one that was about county firefighting, you know what I mean? A deviation of staffing, even though they're from big departments, like the impact, you know, of of, of all of that stuff. So I didn't come up with any of it, man. I've told this story all over the country, a thousand people teaching. Hell, it's worth the risk, the sticker and the damn graphics and the slogan. Yes. I would have never done that. Damn, DJ Stone just did it and it took off, man. Like we wouldn't even be doing like apparels and shirts. Um, I, wish my, I wish my speaker, my turn. It's 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 worth the risk. Sticker has been here for every scrap. That's there. We can see it. I W. That's all you can see is I W. But yeah, yeah. But but the point is, is like in the end of the day, that wasn't a priority for me. You know I'm saying, and you know, you know, one of the the biggest things you know that I learned from you know Jim McCormick is like just the grind. Like yes. It's a grind, man. Yes. There's yes. days that I'm exhausted. Yes. And I don't want to post something. I'd love to tell you, man, I'm jumping up, you know, glory and, and excited and all that. I can tell you, man, like I'm I'm the most excited when I'm at work on duty at Escambia that I've ever been because I'm going to fires. I'm enjoying a kitchen table. I'm enjoying a firehouse. I'm enjoying drilling. Right now I'm enjoying it so much. I'm about to wear my guys out. You know what I'm saying? And I just got to back off the throttle because I'm trying to make up for lost time. But I like that. Like, I've been traveling and teaching so much for so long. It's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just, it's exhausting. 
Yeah. Um, and it really is no different than, you know, whatever else you do for a living. I, you know, I always say build fences and cut grass and all that because that's the most common thing people have been doing since I got on the job. They were doing that 30 years ago. So it's no disrespect anybody's doing it. You know, like that's just what people do. Um, and when I was in Pensacola, a lot of guys were subcontractors and, you know, framed houses, sheetrock, trim. Um, I think half, you know, the first house Justin and I built was the subs were, were firefighters. But, you know, we're not going to get into the book outliers, but, you know, like it, none of it's quick. None of it happens fast. And right. you know, I think about being a battalion chief, man, and how I command a fire today versus 19 and a half years ago is different. Like if, if, if a firefighter to Scambia thinks I'm micromanaging them now, God help them. If they'd have been a firefighter in the summer of 2004 or 2005, they better go talk to Chief Booth or Chief Bobby or one of them and ask them, man. I was probably on the roof telling you how fast to drop it into the roof. You know what I'm saying? Um, because whether you like it or not, man, you know what? I was a firefighter. Right. Guess right. What? I'm still a firefighter. Right. You know, come me and say, hey, Chief, you know, some of the guys are saying behind your back that you've never been a firefighter what the fuck am I right now? Like last time I checked, I went to a fire yesterday and I was wearing full gear. Like the yes. problem is, is they're limited thinking rank has to do something with it. I spent more time on a nozzle flowing water inside of a burning house three weeks ago than, than most people did last year. It's on video. We we got like 17 inches of rain. I went into a house fire through the roof on a nozzle I opened the nozzle, didn't shut the nozzle up until my bell was ringing, and I was sucking the mass to my face. I breathed an entire 4,500 bottle from when I clicked in until zero. I know you safety gurus, calm down. We don't need your damn post on there. And a light-duty guy was there, and I told him to sit in the car, and he was taking pictures and filming it, and I was on a nozzle. Yes. Well, a chief shouldn't be on a nozzle. Well, this ain't the FDNY. We already been to a few fires. I took a, an entire box alarm assignment out of service because their bunker gear was soaking wet and they were dangerous because they were exhausted. I sat in my car because I knew that it was going to be a long night and a long day the next day. And so I stayed in the car so I wouldn't get soaking wet. And based on the conditions, I knew that the way I parked, I literally pulled up in a damn front yard turned my car around where I could see the entire building. Actually, I ended up having hurricane windows. But um, I went to this fire because there was nobody else to do it. So, you know what? There's nobody else to do it. I'm the firefighter. And there was a very, very competent incident commander, fire ground, you know, a chief. Um, and that person, not only are they a chief in Escambia County, they're a chief somewhere else. They know what they're doing. You know, because I know there's a liability. Like, if I'm in a building and something happens – and they're like, well, hell, you know what I mean? In a court of law, I, I get that they can pull my resume, my credentials. Sure. But I got a guy running the fire and I show up. You know what? I show up in full bunker gear, air pack on my back, three lights. Hey, Chief, what you got? Yada, yada, yada. What can I do for you? That's what I said right. to him. What can I do for you? And I'm ready to do whatever he wants me to do. I don't care. I'm exhausted. And I'm not even started yet. We're about to be going wide open. Uh, because we th tornado touched down on Pensacola Beach, two other tornadoes in Escambia County, man. Like we're having our asses handed to him. And he said, well, Can you go around back? So I went around back and talked to a couple of people, talked to another chief. Hey, you know what? I was like, Man, if we don't get inside, it's going to be a lot longer to truly put this out so we can leave and go somewhere else. And going to enough fires, I knew what it needed. 
And that was getting inside and working that nozzle to drop the sheetrock from where the wall, exterior wall on the inside meets the ceiling. So you can put that fire. You know, when the fire burns through the center of the roof, all that other fire just keeps burning. Right. So you can either get in there and get on top of the damn, you know, kitchen table on top of the, you know, the kitchen buffet, whatever, or in a bathroom or, or dresser. You got to get that nozzle up in the attic. In there. Yeah. In yeah. the space. Or get you a bent tip. And I actually had you put that picture on where my bell cap don't get bent over a bent tip, but get a bent tip, the Elkhart thing that turns the wall, you know, the, the nozzle seems so sit. And, and I tell you, man, I went in there and I don't know what it was. 25 minutes. I opened the nozzle and basically never shut it down. Just flow, flow, flow. And guess what? All the way to the end, I came out, the fire ground commander, hey, chief, he's talking to me, got a little fire here. And then we finally got the last bit of fire, and I was like, chief, anything else I can do for you? No, you go with me going south, back south for coverage, man. And I went back south, and I it'd nice. take me two days to tell you. You know, that was when we had the tree on top of the person in the house. Um, you know, very emotional. I had to tell the family that we had to leave. We, You know, I mean, I was emotional, man. Like, um, and we didn't come back for 12 hours. And, you know, in my career, that ranks pretty high up on their things I'll never forget, man. Right. Like, like, you know, those are things that no class prepares you for. <clears throat> Nothing, you know, like, um, you know, the 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 paramedics, the supervisors had, had pronounced her. There's nothing we could do. And, I mean, we got dozens of 911 calls happening. People's houses are flooding. I mean, life-threatening incidents. And you got to make a decision, man. And, um, you know, uh, listening, like, to Jocko Wilco, like, man, like, sometimes you just got to make a decision. Make it. Right or wrong, make a decision. Uh, Dr. Klein's book, Time Compressed Decision-Making. Make decisions, man. And, and and you know, if you're ever going to be a chief, you better start making them now. And they got to be confident. You got to be back behind them. Because if you don't sound confident and you're not confident, nobody else is going to be confident. Because even when you're confident and you feel like 100% your decision is the right one, if everybody's not with it, it's not going to be. And I used to, you know, when I teach, I'd say it like it's like having, I'm showing my hand for anybody that's listening later, but, you know, it's like your hand. You got five fingers. You got five opinions or five ways to do it if the boss is the thumb and the four fingers go with it and they bring it together and that thumb clasp down over them four fingers to make a fist that's the one that's going to punch it in the throat and get it done the right. best decision might be that pinky but if that pinky's on its own i don't think you want to go around boxing with your hand wide open and just the pinky right down right so right. that's what sometimes you know, it's not about what's the best decision. It's the decision that's made. Let's all get behind it. Let's go with it. And let's try to make it, you know, I mean, the best choice because the team's behind it. So I'm going to stop for a second. You'd ask questions. No, um, I got questions coming from the audience. Let me throw some at you, okay? And I know I, <laughs> it's always a crapshoot. Throwing a question at Chief Ike could turn into two hours or five minutes. Yeah. yeah. But Joe Gavita said, Chief, what do you see on the horizon for the fire service and ULFSRI. Well, I mean, they just released something the other day. So make sure you're signed up for UL and FSRI, all their announcements, and go to their websites. Um, they have some big stuff uh, that they're working on, that they're going with. Um, we, uh, last year in August, the first ever uh, ULFSRI summit was in uh, Philadelphia. 
And I would say it was almost like going to one of my first FDICs, man. They, right. they, did, it, they did it over the top. Um, and that's where they brainstorm with a bunch of people that have been on different panels on things to look at. You know, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep stomping on you. I'm gonna go rapid fire. Next one is coming from Cody Brooks, Chief. Who is the most influential person in developing you into the leader you are today? My wife's in the background laughing. <laughs> well, first, I do have to say this, and a lot of people listening know it. I, I've said for years, I've never claimed to be like a leadership instructor. You know, um, you know, I, I, you know, I have programs that have been called leadership and tactics, but I am moving towards doing more leadership classes, more leadership programs. There'll be more specific fire ground leadership command on the sidelines, but um, T.I. Baker, my battalion chief when I was in Pensacola, um, the whole nine years I was there, man, I sought after his, you know, feedback, his information. Um, he was a kind of like a silent leader. Um, he's somebody at three o'clock in the morning when he got him went up to a job, he showed up with his white button up, buttoned up. It might be hanging out. I mean, right. he commanded a day's end fire for 12 hours with a white button up on. Um, and he was unbelievable. General contractor, you know, graduated from Oklahoma State University, took every National Fire Academy class there was, a uh, busy captain on Engine 2 um, yes. off of 12th Avenue back in the day. And even people that didn't like him said he was the the, the firefighter, go-to big guy. I mean, when I stood next to him, I felt like a little midget. Like a, I mean, he was just a big person. So, you know, he was an impact, big impact, like on command presence, command and, you know, control, if you will. But I would say I just learned so much from so many different people, fire service leadership-wise. Um, and then a lot of self-study, man, like um, as crazy as this for the Escambia folks. Um Chief Jim Sanders in like 23 years ago, 22 years ago, not too long after we went paid, we were um, in uh, our office, our, our office building was like his office complex. It was kind of funny um, where we, where we were. And we, he gave me the book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, when it came out by John Maxwell. Maxwell Chief Sanders yeah. knew I grew up in the church. He knew I wouldn't be offended by, you know, a book written by a pastor. I tell you, man, it's in my top books of all time to ever read. John Maxwell's 21 Year Futable Laws of Leadership, The Law of the Lid, Law of Influence. Um, so without just leaving people out, you know what I mean? Like Yes, absolutely. It's hard. It's hard it, to you get know, on the spot. I, you know, obviously my dad, but I would say, you know, Chief Baker was um, you know, probably the greatest impact um on it. And a lot of it was just because he would he would he he kept up well, I didn't know it for years. He kept up what I did off duty too. And nice. um you know, he was giving me, uh, you know, direction. So that would be it. I'm shifting gears on you. The vigilantes, they're amazing people. And I asked them whenever I book a guest, of course, everybody knew you were coming up for 200, you know, when, when, when we announced it. But the vigilante question of the week is always a, is a big thing. There was like 20 of them thrown out there. I picked a few and I'm throwing this one at you. In the FSRI class on coordination of suppression and ventilation in multifamily dwellings, you talked about how little water, less than 500 gallons, was needed to knock down and extinguish all the fires, including those extending to multiple apartments. Um, Previously, you would have called for bigger lines for these, but after the studies, how have your thoughts and approach on line selection changed after that experience? What are your triggers for two and a half inch or deck gun use? Uh, Great question. And and I've been saying this for over a decade um, that I'm going to build a class. I say it that way nobody uses the title, is when not to use a two and a half. Um, and I've been saying that I've told thousands of firefighters that teach it around the country when not use a two and a half, but 
there's justifiably so there's been too much work on getting people not scared to pull a two and a half. So, and then the other problem is I got to be careful when I go around a country and what I tell people, because, you know, I'm spoiled. I work with awesome firefighters and and I hate that they're listening because I always want them to be better. It's like relative. You know what I mean? Like for me, I don't give a shit how much better they are than everybody else. I just want them to be better. But you know, in a Scambia, what they can put out with a 50 foot or a hundred foot of two and a half, it's just like, I'm scared to show the videos because I go somewhere and show it next thing you know, they're burning a building down because they watered the damn neighbor's lawn instead of putting it on a building that's supposed to be on fire. Or they shot it through a window, they shut it down, fire came back to life, they opened it, they shot water in there, they shut it down, fire. Instead of flowing it for extra 10 seconds and putting it out. Um, so, you know, you can go watch the Cobb County burns or, or any of the other burns or just go buff in Detroit, man. I've been to over a hundred working fires in Detroit. I've gone to over a hundred working fires in the city of Detroit, and they're putting out fires with inch and a half and automatic fog nozzles, right? So, um, you know, but we're trying to build in, you know, for just like rope rescue, man. All you rope rescue gurus, you want this 15 to one, 10 to one, eight to one safety factor. So we're doing it with water application. You know, the the idea, the only way you're going to run out of water is if you leave the nozzle open. The only way you're going to cause water damage, you leave the nozzle open. I see more water damage with a garden hose from Mr. Joe Blow next door that went in and tried to put out a fire and he couldn't handle the smoke. He left the line in there and the garden hose was left on. When we put the fire out in the smoke list, we're like, where's all this water from? It's the green garden hose has been on for the last 22 minutes since before we got to the fire. Um, so definitely there's fires that, you know, that, that in the past that, you know, I think, or I would have uh, pulled the sure. two and a half that an inch three quarter w- would work, but the two and a half is going to do it just quicker. So as right. long as you've got discipline to stretch only what you need, 50 foot or a hundred foot and blitz it and leave it. And then stretch a virgin line. Just stretch the inch and three quarters. Don't even worry about that line. Just leave it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I'm never going to go back against the fire off of New Hope Road in Midway from 1992, man. Like, I've talked about that in podcasts. It was the last night that Bill Richards from the Florida State Fire College was talking about solid streams in 1992 and the ISO tip, the one inch, the inch and an eighth, the inch and a quarter. 1992 is when I sat in a 16-hour class on fire tactics, water delivery, and that's what got me obsessed with the blue book by Chief Clark, um, you know, on strategy and tactics. And I had that fired at night. It was an arson job, man. And crazy thing for any local people in Northwest Florida, Robbie Whitfield, who's the chief of PACE now, was actually a deputy on duty as a brand new rookie deputy for Santa Rosa County that night. He's in one of the pictures. Um, TJ Emma, his son and my son are friends. Um, he would, he, there's a picture of him. He was with Gulf Ridge just sitting on a little bike, man. That was 31 years ago. And those are my early on experiences. So with that, since I experienced that and the power and the impact, it's harder for me to see a UL video or even go to the fires and then back off of it. But, you know, we burned down an entire uh, townhouse complex on Ciudad in March of 2004. And after that, I said, I was never going to burn down a set of townhouses. And I haven't since. I was a brand new battalion chief, and that was one where you needed multiple inch and three quarters based on the floor plan, how small the rooms were, getting into the exposure up to the second floor, pull the ceiling. We don't need a lot of water. We just need a little water beyond a bunch of pinch right. points with not enough people. Um, and that's you know some of the stuff in boot camp or battalion chief that I'm going to cover is, is making a decision when I can send a line dry 
into a building based on staffing and it being okay. Um, so hopefully that answered the question is Great. absolutely we're getting educated on what a booster tank will do, what a water can will do, and when to and when not to pull a two and a half. Combat mobility is everything. Beautiful. Kyle Condiff out of South Texas says, where do you see the future of CF Tactics in the next five to ten years? Um, Jessica and I just talked about it tonight at dinner. Um, you know, oh, oh I'm going to make the announcement right now. How many, how many people are listening live? We're right around 200 still. Okay. And Jessica's going to email it to Scott, and he's going to post it. She, it's up? I don't know if Scott Slocum's still up, man. He's on Eastern time. <laughs> but just for the Scrap 200, Jessica Registration Fox built Scrap 200 Conference Pass. It'll be up tonight or in the morning, but it's going to be okay. up just tomorrow, and that's it. Okay. Right? All right, so here's what the thing is. Scrap 200 for the listeners tonight. You'll be able to register tomorrow to buy. I just call it a gold pass. That's just the way I term But it's called the Scrap 200. And Scott will put it up on countyfiretactics.com. And when you register for the Scrap 200 tomorrow, you can buy the pass, and it's for, like, the next conferences till the end of next year. It's like seven or eight. So whether it's August, Urban to Suburban, the Gator Conference, which is three days, brand new program down in Gainesville. They have an airport there. Um, the class that hasn't even been advertised yet that's going to be at the brand new fancy Fairfield Inn. Bring your spouse to that one. No spouse track, but it's October and it's nice. The Lazy River, it's October 16 in the afternoon, 17th and 18th. It's going to be called Tactical Deviation and Resilience. It's going to be about tactical deviation and resilience. This class ain't for is not eight. This class is not for somebody new. This is for people covering positive pressure exposure protection. I did that literally 18 years ago as a brand new battalion. Fans fired up on a rock and commercial job to pressurize attached exposures. You know, when to put water through a vent hole and things like that. Um, December's conference. Uh, COBC next year, August next year, December next year. So no matter what the conference costs for 200 bucks, you can pick one of those eight conferences for 200. Now people say, why'd you do that? Because we can't disrespect somebody that's already bought a pass and paid 300 or 350 or 450. So anybody that's already bought a conference pass, you can still buy one for another conference or whatever. So it was a way to make a CFT conference in the future. And when you register, you got to pick one. But as anything else we do, we don't do refunds, but we do credit. So then you can, you know, you can pick another one. So to not, tomorrow you can invest $200 in a future CFT conference pass. And then six months from now or nine months from now, you worry about how you're going to get here travel wise. Remember any, all of our conferences, you don't have to pay for the hotel till you actually stay at the hotel. That way you don't have to have the money. Um, you know, we always do the free parking and the free shuttle. So I'm excited about the scrap 200 conference is what I'm calling it, but it's really the choice of like eight different, um, fire conferences, um, for anybody to do. So there I, you I, go. On that, but I, I was going to tell that earlier and I didn't. So sorry about that, but Very to you got to buy it by tomorrow night, tomorrow night, midnight, tomorrow night, midnight. Is that work? No, no, no. 1030 tomorrow night. Jessica already set the time. So okay. what, I don't know what time it is. So 24 hours from now, that thing's going dead. You got 24 hours or 23 hours and whatever it is, 51 minutes to uh, buy that and 
uh, use it for whatever. So that's it. Sorry about that. What was your question now? CFT was going to go. So I told you that. So, the future. The future of CFT. So here's what the future is. And I'm serious about this. It's locked in. I've already done it. The future is we're going to we're going to kill this year. We're going to kill next year with what's already pre-selected. Um, and I can't. It take me an hour to tell you we were we we we're doing more than we were going to do. And the only reason we're doing what we're doing this year, next year, is because the Hilton stepped up and came to us, and you know realized I was serious about backing off. And they said, "What if we give you 2020 prices? You know, free parking, the crazy deals." Because you know, at the end of the day, they're in a business to make money. COBC back in May, they could have rented them rooms for 100 to 200 bucks more a night than the firefighters were paying. Yes, they can. We know. Trust me, they're packed out all the time. The demand to go to Pensacola Beach is just crazy. So we, um, since they were willing to do that, we're doing it. But after next year, what you're going to see 100% are things like the Gator Conference, the three-day Gator Conference in Gainesville where I'm going there. Right. Um, right. Three days. And there's a method to the madness, man. My, two of my kids go there. My youngest sure. hopefully will go there. Um, and the boot camp for battalion chief, man, that's going to be the foundation um, you know, what we do there, there, Oh, there's only six spots left. That's it for the, 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 the boot camp for battalion chief. That's February 5th through the 9th, six spots. And it's done. All the other ones are already full. Um, those, that sells out quick Um, this tactical deviation resilience program. Like that's going to be it where, um, you know, I'm doing, and I'm just not that I'm not going to bring other people in, but I tell you what, what, what I'm going to do to make it simple. We got to move on to something else more intimate, more simplistic seminars and conferences that's providing something not being provided at these other conferences. And no disrespect, because I'm guilty of it. We have saturated the market. Yeah, The market is saturated. You know, the people that love the job now, I'm stealing their money. Not really, but they're paying to come to Pensacola Beach. They've heard you, Corley. They've heard me. They've heard Ray. They've heard Champo. Nothing against us. But we're not giving them anything new. They're coming just because they want to hang out. Now they're paying for an airplane ticket or a hotel or they're cheap, man. I've had emails that firefighters said the cheap won't send them no more because it was the same name. Like we like we had to change. Like sometimes the names have changed. So she's like, we already been to COBC five times. It's hard for the fireman to tell the chief that it's different classes because it is. Or ODP. Most chiefs, fire chiefs, deputy chiefs, train chiefs, they think the CFT ODP is the same program every year. It's never been the same. Right. Never been the same ever. So we're looking, you know, I'm not saying we won't do like maybe one big one a year, two, two, two maybe, but it's just too stressful, man. Like um, the, the, like, you know, you got contracts signed with the hotel. We've never canceled one. We bankrolled them. We've other conferences have compensated and paid for them because um, we've never canceled anything. We, we've never denied credit, but I'm excited about, 35, 40, 50, maybe 75 students where I don't have to worry about like, you know, finding a place like the Flounders. Like, you know, we can all eat breakfast together at the Fairfield Inn in the morning at the same time or Marriott or the Hilton or wherever it is. So I'm looking to, 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 to not just do more battalion chief fire ground command stuff, but I'm looking to offer stuff next level, graduated level, and smaller numbers where there can be feedback in a program right. to where I'm not running around the Hilton and I don't have 30 seconds to talk to you. 
If I talk to, if there's 600 attendees and I talk to every one of them for one minute, that's 600 minutes. Yeah. That's 10 hours to spend one minute with 600 attendees. Yeah. 60 attendees, I can give them 10 minutes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, that's where it's going. Um, it's what I need for, you know, for my health, my mental you know, stability. It's what I need um, because I, I want to get more involved at a scan on doing stuff. Um, and I always said if we went to 4896, I'd like to be there on my watch um, and, and, and my calendar. I'm trying to build out my calendar to where my four days off, I can do it without taking leave. So that answers the question is we're going to phase into more specialized, smaller seminar conferences and a little bit of moving around, but preferably going to be here on Pensacola Beach. I'm not going to say if my youngest doesn't go to some cool town or city, I wouldn't do what we're doing down in Gainesville. And by the way, if you come to the to the Gator seminar, um, that's uh, homecoming week, and we play Vanderbilt. That should be a guaranteed win, but they beat us last year, so I don't know. Right, <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, uh, there's so. Hey, here's the deal. While you were talking, they first time ever in the history of the scrap live, we cracked a thousand comments live. Oh, really? Like, others, others in the past have cracked. You know, with with conversations gone on after it was not live, have beaten a thousand, but never have we cracked a thousand comments while we were live on the air. So, congratulations, Chief Ike, for something that's never happened before in the history of the scrap. Um, I have a question coming at you. This one comes from a guy named Dennis Laguerre, and he said, "What is your thoughts on two point two five inch hose? No matter who makes it." Well, first and foremost, I do care about who makes it. I want it to be Kehoe's. Um, and I say that for the first time. And Kehoe's has been sponsoring us since day one. Kehoe's sponsored H-Rock for 10 consecutive years. And it took me over 10 years to finally say that CFT is Kehoe's, and that's who we use. Right. So it would definitely be Kehoe's. But uh, Dennis knows the answer to this question. It's one of the most exciting things in the last 10 years when we were at the conference and you know, I already knew about it. I mean, um, there's a lot of things that Dennis has done in the fire service that I was privy to um, before it was common knowledge. And I've never told anybody or even talked about it. You know I mean? It was for Dennis to release and man, uh, Bob Morris would not leave me alone. I mean, respectfully, you know what I mean? But he was like a kid in a candy store. He'd come over and say, hey, Ike, let me flow this line, man. I want to flow this line. And I'm like, hey, hey, boss. I always call him boss. I'm like, hey, boss, like I'm trying to run a conference. And so finally, we get the rigs in the alleyway. And a lot of people watching have seen the video. And we get the line at 225. And it's like secret, man. It's prototype shit. <laughs> and we got it out in the alleyway. And I go out there in my damn three-piece suit. It wasn't playing. That wasn't a stage. And uh, Rick from Miami-Dade, I won't, I won't call him what Captain Bill Gustin calls him. Um, but Rick, badass, man. World champion combat challenge. World champion combat challenge. And Rick is just, what a gentleman, man. Just an unbelievable photographer, and he truly is the world champion for the combat challenge. Miami Dade, big in the training division. And that's the picture where I'm in my suit and I got the socks on. The and socks, I'm yeah. The line. Yes. That's the 225. And, man, like, it was like the perfect break. Like, I can't even explain to people the stress that A-Truck brought me. It took years off of my life. Literally years. Like, 
I mean, I, I literally got sick at night. I never, the night before we flowed water, I couldn't sleep. People have no clue how dangerous it is to put over 400 people in a 70-story hotel with water cascading. Yeah. Broken knees, broken ankles, uh, railing that somebody put up while they were smoking dope, drinking Natty Light after they snorted a line of cocaine that somebody gave them. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. And the railing, that that the one rule that we had, man, and, and I, I'll, I'll just be straight up, man, the one of the big reasons that we stopped doing it is I, I couldn't do it if we didn't have like McGrail's team up there or Bill Gustin's team up there, you know, Clark Lamping stepped in for him. Um, and, and Ray's group, you know, they would have done the same thing, but they were pretty much in a parking lot and doing stuff. But like Gustin and McGrail had a couple of hundred students up against a 15 year railing. And yes. I knew that without a doubt, man, the gentleman on the team for Denver and the gentleman on the team for Bill Gustin and Miami Dave, they, they, there wasn't going to be any nice. You're, you're, you're right. We'll kick you out. We'll give you a refund, leave. But I just didn't see anybody coming along with that level of seniority and discipline of just being blunt and no complacency. There is no complacency with Bill Gustin or, you know, Dave McGrill. And there's not with Clark, you know what I mean? And we're going to do something in the future. Um, you know, and Clark's going to be involved and, and Brooksy from Canada is going to be involved. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the two, two, five, man, it's the shit to be honest with you. I, I would already have pushed for it in Escambia County. Um, I have to be careful what I push for because it could be received that I'm trying to sell something. So I don't really push for things that cost or buy equipment. I can tell you that I'm going to get a hold of some two, two, five, and I'm going to provide it to a company for them to play with and use it because um, I would tell you, I think the 225 will, will, is is awesome. You know what I mean? And um, it's just, once again, it goes back, um, you know, Chief Stone's getting it for uh, Midway, and I think he's getting it for the Alliance for all of South Santa Rosa, um, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, Midway's buying it for two stations. Um, right. Navarre's buying it for two or three stations. Navarre Beach is buying it for one. Um, so together, it's still a lot of stations. But, you know, like if I'm in a staff meeting, then, you know, and I say, hey, we should get this. Then I got, we had just like, you know, how much do we buy this year? How much do we buy next year? You know, what rigs do we put it on? And then, you know, then you, you got to train all them people on the, you know, the friction loss. And then you got to determine, you know, here they might pull up like they did the other night on that shopping center fire. Um, so it is a little more complicated. And I hate that part about it. But hands down, I think that the 225 is the interior commercial attack line for 99% of what the fire service does. And this goes with the gentleman's question earlier about UL. Right. Um, that with thermal imagers, a supervising officer using a thermal imager, reading the thermal heat above them, um, water application, reading the water map with a tick where they're not having to touch the hose line. You know, that's something I talk about in commercial rule and engagement. But if you got a, if, if you assign a working, or I mean, a supervising engine boss, not somebody's holding the hose line, man, that 225, the flexibility of it, um, and still the ability to, be, to, to flow 200 and something, um, you know, it's unbelievable. But I'm going to close it out with this. We got to get all them stubborn people out there to stop realizing 56 things ain't what we need just because grand, granddaddy did it. That uh, the seven eights is all we really need. We proved it in the gallons per second test. You're going to put more water on the fire. 
with a nozzle open on a 7 8. If the thumb don't fit, it's what you need. 7 8, and then we move to the 225 because the separation is kind of like brushes thing on the exponential engine. There's enough of a separation. But if you're going to be stubborn, use that 15 16, then you might as well just go ahead and have a two and a half because, I mean, why in the hell even change lines if you ain't going to change that much of the flow, right? And I'll leave it at this. There is truth. Only one. I, Dennis doesn't agree with me on this, but that's okay. That's why we both got opinions. Remember, even Tom Brennan and what he thought about cutting a roll-up door wasn't the same as what John Norman thought. You telling me one of them are wrong, right? Two guys, phenomenal leaders in the fire service and FDNY. People are going to have different opinions. But the reality is there's only one adjustable flow smooth bore in the American fire service. It's a seven eight. You can underpump it and you can overpump it on almost every brand and model of hose out there and not worry about kinking. You get that 15, 16, boy, you better pump that shit at 50 on a lot of the hose. If not, you're going to have a serious kinking problem. All right. I do like the inch and three sixteenths. Hold on. I think I brought it. Maybe I didn't. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I don't y'all know this, but behind me, I got like a collection of nozzles. So just for Dennis. There's the inch and three sixteenths that we can pump it up to Chicago or we can pump it down to FDNY or inch and three sixteenths at Oakland style. There you go. This is, this is it, man. I mean, I I, honestly, this is what people, this is what people clued in for, for the 200. 100%. They get the best stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the seven eighths that, that we spent a lot of money on at the auction at Carolina fire days. Nobody wants to know. Literally two people walked up to me and they said, chief won't stretch. Give you one in for free. I said, yeah, but that ain't the point. This money's going to charity. So my thumb won't fit. Right. Make sure I got it here. So this is a long barrel. 15, 16. My thumb goes all the way in. So the other day I was at Denver Engine 23 with Eric Tolan. I woke up to the back of his rig. I stick my finger. It won't go in. It's a seven eighths. Up top, I put my finger in. It went in. I said, what's the deal, Tolan? You got a damn seven eighths here and a 15 sixteenths there. That's a good engine boss, right? He's the captain. The other ships are lieutenants. And he's got the rig set up because he, God, he's got options. And if Sam's available to put up the picture with a white engine with a 23, um, I'm skipping around. I'm trying not to use pictures, Corley, because I know you don't like them. That's really why I've been skipping them. No, no, you're good. You 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 do it at your leisure. Yeah. But uh, I just didn't want to hit a bunch with our, our brothers that are listening, driving to work. No, no, but I get it. He can pull up it. the picture. The other day, Rob and I went to uh, Denver's firehouse where, where Eric Tolan's a captain on 23. And, man, you know they're into the job at this firehouse. Plus, if your address – your street, your opera is Federal Boulevard. I don't know about you, but I've done enough buffing and going to fires. That means you're going to fires. If your right. firehouse on Federal Boulevard, you're going to jobs. Uh, the, the picture that's got the uh, white in the engine, the back of the engine, one guy that's got a 23 on it. No big deal. I'm going to talk about it until he, he finds it. You no keep big... talking. He'll look. Yeah. So we went to see Eric. Now, this is, a, this is just last week. This is the other day. And this is the Denver Fire Department. There's only one thing wrong with the Denver Fire Department. It's the color of their rigs. So right. and white, the color white engines. Yes. Like, I mean, they you know what? They wanted to blend in with the snow. I get it. 
but it's a badass fire department, man. They're awesome. And I want you to look at the back of this rig. This was last week, man. There's Cat Merrick towing. They call it like a Samson something. But to me, that's a three-inch hose clamp. I was using one of them in 1988 when we were catching hydrants with three-inch a, a, a gate valve and a hydro wrench. That's what you call a hydro width. 1988 midway, you stop, you wrap the plug, you put a gate valve on one side. I ain't going to get into that, but put the three-inch on the other side, and if you had the Adeline, you hooked into the gate valve, so you just turned it on, and we clamped it behind the coupling. That was a state test question. You clamp it within six feet behind the coupling on the supply side of the rig so they can charge the hydrants in water. We still got stubborn people in the American Fire Service I don't care if it's LDH, four inch, five inch, two and a half, three inch. Rarely do I say always. Almost always, if you catch a hydrant lay supply line, I don't care if it's five inch, two and a half inch, or anything, we ought to be clamping it. That way, a plug hydrant firefighter just charges it, sends water to the clamp, and you figure out do I want to hook it into this rig? Do I want to hook it into that rig? Does the clamp move? What size section? But if you look at that where Captain Tullin's standing, Denver Fire Department still running three-inch supply with a Humat four-way hydro assist valve. So a later arriving pumper can pump and boost the pressure through three-inch. Now, I'm not, I don't want to get into a debate about it. Right, right. Absolutely not. We absolutely need LDH. Some people need four-inch. Some need five-inch. Um, Dennis is probably still listening because he's spoiled. He's on the West Coast time. But I, I'm, I'm with Dennis on dual beds of three-inch. But dual beds of three-inch in for everybody, five-inch in for everybody. But everybody that's into the job, and if you're going to command fires, more so, and that's the problem, man, is people think because they come cheap, they don't have to know all this stuff. Absolutely. You need to know it more than anybody else in case they don't know. Over the radio, you can, in a split second, this job is so easy that you can tell somebody how to do it. Right. As long as you got somebody to physically do it. Right. So we need to know when we're just going to lay a three inch on the ground or backstretch it. And I'm going to just leave it simple this because I'm going to get off into a tactics class. But the reality is LDA chose is to relocate your hydrant to the fire complex. Sometimes a fire complex might be a private dwelling, might be a large private dwelling, might be a mansion, might be a strip mall, might be a uh, um, you know uh, a warehouse. But once you're on the fire ground, and and in a rule of thumb, what I mean on the fire ground is within 300 feet. Those are my 300 foot drill. Okay. And when we're on the fire ground, we want the the hydrant. We catch the hydrant, lay five inch, comes into a fire truck. That fire truck that that LDH hose comes into is the banker. The banker yes, should yes, almost yes. always distribute money via a three-inch or two-and-a-half-inch line. Why? Because it's faster. Everybody wants their money by Western Union. Everybody wants an ATM. Everybody wants their money yesterday. Well, the best way to do it is a three-inch hose. Because now you need pressure to get volume. So you're going to get it faster if you have a pump failure, the pressure is going to probably be high enough to operate with today's hose that we use, today's nozzles, and it's not up for debate. To take five inch and run five inch on the fire ground from one rig to the other is absurd 99.99999% of the time. Love we it. shouldn't be hand-stretching five inch. Love All it. the five inch occupying these engineers' compartments almost needs to go away using a Storks coupling to feed water from the banker to a spender is absurd. 
And I'll tell you this. Talk about county fire tactics, man. This could be an hour in itself. The new ladder 12 in Escambia could be the best spec rig in the history of Escambia County Fire Rescue. It's not a suburban quint. It's not an urban ladder truck. It's a county ladder truck. Why? Because it's going to a fire with five engines surrounding it. The ladder 12 sits as like the center of the wheel and off of it's a bunch of spokes and they're all engine companies, right? Love it. So the ladder truck is rarely going to be first due based on its territory. And if it is, they're going to be getting off the rig, making sure they ain't getting run over by the damn second fire truck that's showing it's an engine company. And we do the booster backup anyways. And I tell you, the only reason it's got a 300-gallon tank is that makes it NFPA certified. Zero LDH. I hope Dennis is still watching. Man, I can't tell you how excited I was when it actually showed up and it didn't have LDH on it. I'm telling you right now, Dennis said he's in Charlotte, so he's on Eastern Standard Time, so he is up late watching. Hey, hey. I'm telling you, man, I am I am on top of the world that we do not have LDHOs on our ladder truck. And I'll tell you, I, I and, and I've been operating as battalion two since 2004. I moved in there to, when the station was built in two, September of 2007. So this September, 16 years, I've been operating as battalion two, rolling out of the same firehouse with ladder 12. Yes. And I'm telling you, in 2007, I would have said they needed five inch. But it's 2023. Yes. And in 16 yes. years, we've added engine companies around it. And I've gone to fires, and I don't want a ladder truck laying a supply line. And they said, well, what if there's nobody else? Then wait. Because if there ain't nobody else, you ain't going to do shit anyways. So go to the fire scene, set up, and hopefully somebody can show up and forward lay it and leave it. Or they can pull in, drop a five inch to the four way, and make it a, a modified four way or a gate valve. Where you, if you know how to yeah. use that, you can turn it around, and that way it's just a big gate valve. Got that from Bill Gustin twenty years ago. And then reverse out to the pump because that's the best way to get water. Is pump the water. You can push it, but you can't pull it. Trust me. It's what the municipal water company's been doing forever for decades. Then the ladder truck can position where it needs with nothing coming off the back of it. Now, why do I think a county ladder truck shouldn't have LDH? Is because whenever you position, either have the engine company stretch something that's manageable to stretch, a two-and-a-half or three-inch, and or the three-inch that's on the back of ladder 12, they can just stretch it back to the banker. And now, to get the volume from the banker, they're going to have to give you pressure. So now you don't even have to use the pump on the quint, even though it's there. If you wanted to, you could. But right. you could feed into the back of the air and do direct. And that's a class in itself. But you want to come to Tactical Deviance Resilience for that now. I can't give all my stuff out. <laughs> uh, but that's another thing is firefighters in suburban and county fire departments need to understand when you bring it into the pump via the piston intake or the auxiliary. And, Dennis, don't be giving this shit out for free either. Um, and when do you go into the back directly piped into the ladder truck based on arrival sequences at a warehouse? Is it a garden apartment complex? Do I have two and a half coming off the rig? Do I have and three quarters was it first do second do third do but the reality is five inch for feeding a ladder truck is absurd 99 percent of the time you want to feed a tower ladder you want to feed a ladder truck feed it with a three inch 
And if for some crazy reason your municipal water supply has more water than I'm used to, then stretch a second one for redundancy. Now you're splitting the volume via two lines and you got redundancy built into your operation. That's why we started putting a second auxiliary intake into our apparatus back in the 90s. I was on a spec committee in 1993 and argued at Midway because up to that point, most people only got an auxiliary on the driver's side. Right. Or anybody just got in a fire service, that's new shit, man. Used to, nobody paid for money for an auxiliary. And I'll tell you this, 97% of the fires I go to, the fires put out by a rig that was provided water via the auxiliary intake. Now, 97% of those fires, the five inch came into a piston intake of one rig, but that rig was the banker that fed the rig that's putting the water on the fire. Right. right? And and that goes uh, for big city tactics on a second line or backup line comes off of a second pump operation. So I hope I gave enough information there. But that's beyond a doubt. Beyond a doubt. I gotta hit you with this. I'm gonna hit you with this one. And and you said 200 minutes. We're 13 yeah, I mean, minutes. I mean, no, I know it's it's a soft target, but it's a target. But yeah. I want to hit you with this from Peyton Price. I'm gonna ask you this question, then I'm gonna hit the head because I'm about to burst because go to the bathroom, that's fine. No, but I'm going to hit you with the question first so you can answer it. What do you think about personally bought tools? Which ones do you prefer and why? So I'm leaving you with that one, and I'll be back in just a few seconds. Okay. Um, well, back in the mid-'90s, um, I bought my own personal um, pro bar, eight-pound axe, um, you know, halligan hook, roof hook, whatever you want to call it. And then, um, you know, most people heard a story in 1997 – I went to the Elkhart booth and Blair got me uh, an inch and three quarter smooth bore and a two and a half inch smooth bore. So I didn't pay for those, but I was putting my own nozzles on the rig starting in 1997. Um, But, you know, I I can't tell you, like, you know, obviously I think everybody that loves a job should have their own 30 inch pro bar. Um, You know, like, I just think that's just something you should have. I, I mean, I think a pro bar is second only to a nozzle on the fire ground. And then, you know, next to that, obviously, if your department doesn't have eight-pound axes, get an eight-pound axe. And, you know, a cool thing that Champo pointed out to me, because um, I was we, we, we were going to buy 10 sets of irons and 10 hooks, and the price was going up with uh, Fireworks um, Unlimited, just like everything else in COVID that costs more. And Champo was like, hey, Kurt, you know, um, buy five of them that nothing's on the handle, and then buy the other five, um, you know, that, that – Captain Farrell sells now uh, for like four splinter. And I was like, why is that champ? And he's like, so that your hand will slide. Like if you're using the back of an ax and those are just little nuggets, man. Like, you know, that you think about, cause when they came out with that new ax, that's awesome when you're forcing a door, but what happens when you get to go up on a roof and you're slinging it? Those are just things, man, like little nuggets that you learn. You can be on the job 42 years and you're still going to pick something up. Um, I'll say this. I think one, and I hope my, some of my Scambia folks are still listening, and this is a nationwide issue. We get addicted and complacent about carrying what we always carry. Most of the time, the six-foot hook's going to be fine for you, but if you're going to a, a, a grocery store, a warehouse, a commercial building, and you're standing at the front door and a photographer takes a picture and the hook is not taller than you, and inside that store – the ceiling's pretty high, an educated fireman's kind of giggling and laughing, right? 
Because what are you going to do? I get the last 19 fires you went to was a wood frame shotgun house. And I make my folks mad about it, but but I'm trying to help them get to a new level. I'm their coach. I'm saying, hey, man, like, that don't work. This play doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, every single time. And I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'll use an example. Uh, we had a fire one night. It was, like, down to, like, 20 degrees, man, 18 degrees. I'll never forget Lieutenant Lighter 12 and his career said it's the coldest he's mm-hmm. ever been. Toes were freezing on a roof of a Walmart, but this was last winter. Over the radio, I said, does anybody on this fire ground have anything taller than a six-foot hook? Because nobody did. And technically, on a commercial building, you're supposed to have an eight-foot hook or longer to do it. So, um, you know, some people got upset because somebody, you know, might get their feelings hurt. And, and I did this recently at a fire where I talked about telling an engine they need to back up because they were parked too close to the rear of the ladder truck in a ladder chute, like leaving enough room for the ladders coming out of the ladder chute. And and I love the lieutenants, man, because they care about their folks. You know what I mean? It's like their kids. And so what I told the lieutenants when they said, well, chief, you know, you don't have to embarrass them. I said, so what do I do? Do I just tell you to tell them? And then I wait for three months from now, the same thing to happen. And I tell that lieutenant to tell it. And so about five years, I've been to 10 fires where one fire, I could have just gone on radio and said, anybody got something longer than a six-foot hook? Anybody on this fire ground got a door chop? Anybody on this fire ground, you know, know how to park a rig so the ladders can come out of the back? Because, yeah, we, we don't need them at this fire, but we might the next. Well, guess what? Now if there's 24 people on the fire ground, like, well, shit, she bite wants us to carry something longer than a six-foot hook at a commercial building fire, right? And right. so then we turn into a trainer. I wasn't mad. Um, you know, and I'm not yelling. I'm talking so you can hear me. I don't like, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to repeat myself. Right. My family's had to tell me something four times because I can't ever hear them. Um, but here's the deal. Just cause your hook can reach the ceiling. That mean it's long enough. It's, can you reach above that drop ceiling to grab the ductwork that's on fire, the wires that's on fire? Can you hit the under deck? And when you cut a roof, it isn't just to pull or push the roof. Can you push the drop ceiling? Can you push the sheetrock? And so the longer it is, the less chance. I've been to jobs where I was laying on the roof with my hand and my armpit on the truss or the rafter, and my hand's going through the vent opening. It's blowing superheated fire gases. Why? Because my dumb ass had too short of a pipe pole, right? Right, you right. Know, um, whether it's white fiberglass, yellow fiberglass, you know, started being hooks. And, and I'll tell you, man, anybody that's been on a Scambia for 23 years, definitely Pensacola, back in the late 90s, man, my favorite thing was a damn little four-foot hook. And Chap, you know, is one of my very, very personal close friends, and he kind of made giggled with me about it one day or whatever. And, and um, you know, I'm six foot four in a pair of fire boots. And the reality is, like, I just woke up, man, because for me, the four-foot hook was comfortable to carry for a mobile home fire, a shotgun, a normal residential house, older neighborhoods with eight-foot ceilings. Sure, sure. Even you can and I did a post outside with, a, with, a, with it. And I did a post on it like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago when County Fire Tactics first went live. Some great pictures of Midway at a big old house over off of Madura, and it shows these high-vaulted ceilings, and they got the long fiberglass pipe poles and the post was, we need to remember when to take that in the building. And anybody that's in a Scambia knows, like, ladder 12, 
And the liner trucks, man, I want them to have the longest pipe pole possible so they can take a, the driver can take a second floor one. And I want it to be the kind that'll kind of flex a little bit, like a job javelin pole. Um, you know, and so you gotta like it's not just what you carry on 90% of the coals. What do you have on the rig for those anomaly fires? You know, if it's a newer large house, high ceilings, commercial building, there's still a time and a place for not just the eight foot, but the 10 foot, the 12 foot, the long pipe poles uh, type of deal. So um, tools and equipment, I, I will say this. Um, and, and we don't have time tonight. I have a bunch of stuff here on the ground. <laughs> that box light. I got this well, box. You got everything, dude. You got everything. I, I did. Um, I bought an aftermarket floodlight off of Amazon. Changed out. I call it the Chicago light because they still carry these. So this light now, man, is like whether you're chief, company officer or not, you drop this thing in a front yard, it lights up the front of the building. You drop it at the front door. But I want to talk about, he asked about tools. So I got the new Vulcans out. And I don't get a penny from Vulcan. But I've had firefighters around the country tell me that those back lights on the Vulcan, even the the, uh, the orange ones, this is the new yellow one, that's what showed them how to get out when they were bailing out of ice. They saw those, and that's how they knew where the window was. That's where they knew the door was. Um, and so, you know, I got this light, I would say this, and I won't get worked up like I did in Ghana Center, like I have been with the Scambia folks. <laughs> every, every firefighter that puts on an air pack, every firefighter that puts on an air pack should still be carrying a box light. I don't care what brand it is, should be carrying a handheld box light with a strap, however you like to do your strap, to where it's down somewhere below your chest belly button waist um if you look at most urban city squad rescue firefighters that go to a lot of jobs there's this higher based on why because they're down below the smoke and the things right where they need it right there will never be a 90 degree light that, that hooks to your bunker coat that will replace a box light it's for them if you're going to look for your kids you'd have one of these box lights um and i could go on for a million reasons it's it's lazy. It's complacency when people stop carrying this on a fire ground. Still Boom. carry helmet light. This this here, man, like this this helmet here, I got the stream light. I love it. And I'll tell you what, I spent the money because on the back, it's got that little glow that might be the difference for somebody to follow you out. But the, the box slide is the one you can take a window if you don't have a tool. You can throw it out a window so somebody sees where you are. It's the one you can take off. If you're accidentally get disoriented in a Jack and Jill, you leave it to where you go to recon to see if that's the way out, and you come back like shit. That's my life. You know what I mean? And then you're you're, you're you keep from getting more disoriented, right. right? Like I have a plan between the tools I carry in the building that's on fire, the lights I carry, to where if I get disoriented, I don't get any more disoriented than I already am. Right. I figure out a system to navigate. With bearings. It's like being in the wilderness and cutting a groove in a tree or, or piling up some branches, like survival stuff. Predictable is preparable, man. Prepare yourself for the worst day on a job. Thermal saturation. You don't want to go to the worst fire where the fire flashes and you're wearing your third set of gear that's 12 years old that's been in the back of your F-150. You want your brand new highest TPI level. You want right. the best morning pride gear you can buy so you can survive long enough yes. to get out of the building of life. Go to work like it's the worst fire of your career. And last thing, I'm going to talk about tools. This came up the other day. So, and and I had a bad experience, So, but I want to give a reason why. You look at very busy urban firefighters, um, squad rescue, almost always 
specifically FDNY folks, they have a fixed blade knife. If you ever see it on their strap, because they go to enough jobs that when they pull that knife out with a set of fire gloves, you don't have to open the knife. The knife is right there ready to cut rope, you know, depending on what type of knife it is, like cable, you know, one right. fire one time got killed in a fraternity house when the flags came down on him. Cut flags, cut whatever you got to cut, but there's no blade. Now, mine is a high-dollar, most expensive spider coat you can buy. I don't cut anything with it. I've had it for years and years and years. I don't want it to be dull. And it, you have to open it because a long time ago, I had the other one and my dumb ass pulled it out and, you know, I stabbed myself. Wasn't a big deal, but I got a little freaked out. So I've been talking about it lately because I'm going to probably go back to the fixed blade. Once again, man, something stupid happens to you. It just gives you a bad taste. Doesn't mean it's bad. Um, so there's a reason why you see those folks with a fixed blade um, because you don't have to open them. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in reality from experience you learn. Um, just being as a gopher and a helper helping Tim Clutt with a hoarding condition uh, training. Man, it's funny to see the theory of wire cutters and what they use and how they use them and what brand and you know, whether they got a golf ball or a piece of webbing and how they put right. it. Okay, right now, bring three pairs because if you ever need to cut your way out, you don't need all three pairs. You're going to lose them and drop them. Um, but some ways work better than others. But once again, man, it, it, it's 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 theory unless you've proven it on a fire ground. So that's enough on tools and equipment. I don't want to see my I love it. I love it. it but- I got I got to throw this in there. It's like right now, out. I don't know if you're picking up in the microphone, and I know Sam can attest to this. There is like some serious Midwestern thunderstorms going on. So if things cut out, understand why. It's just storms. They are hitting right now. They are rolling right now. But so far, so good. So I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that for everybody. Now, there are some things we do. We're at the 200-minute mark. But okay. I want to I ask you about book or books. This will be – here's the deal. There's – you are the first person officially that's been on the scrap four times solo. Okay. Like 70, 100, 150, and now 200. So I've asked you this question many times, but book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? Well, um, and I've answered this in other ones before. Yes. Um, there, there's a lot of them, um, like back here behind me. I mean, obviously, the book of Andy um, and his articles, um, fire stream management. I got mine when it was just like the price they sold it for fire engineering. <laughs> you know, NFPA engine company operations book. But, you know, I think buff wise, you should definitely read report from engine company 82 for anybody that's watching. Um, Pat Grace gave me this on Christmas, December 25th, 1997. Um, um, but. The, the reality is, man, like, I, I've told you this in scratch before. I, I think one of the top books is Chief Clark's book, the blue book, mm-hmm. um, the the strategy book by him, where it talks a little bit more about fire behavior than most other books do. Um, he goes into the numbers, like, you know, talking to chiefs that went to 182 fires, and this was their experience of what they did. And, um, you know, some of it, I, I, uh, I did like a doc, doc video. Oh, I'm going to give a shout out to um, – Make sure you're checking out firefighterrescuesurvey.com. But on a doc video, here's one of the early editions of Clark, and I kind of covered it on a doc video. But I would say that's one of the top books when it comes to, you know, being a a firefighter into the job, company officer, chief, um, 
you know, sort of thing. I think it has material that are not in any of the other ones because there's a lot of great, you know, uh, strategy and tactics books out there. I mean, um, everybody talks about Chief John Norman, but Anthony Avillo's got a great book. Avillo, um, yes. You know, rest in peace, Chief Chief Smith, man. You know, uh, I think I've read, you know, definitely, you know, seventy five percent of his articles. He wrote a column in Firehouse for years, man. Yes. Philadelphia yes. Chief. Um, he's got a great strategy and tactics book that a lot of people don't know about that's out there. He used to teach at the National Fire Academy. Um, you know, Skip Coleman passed away, rest in peace. You know, a guy that I went to his classes early on at FDIC, you know, he wrote a book on managing major fires as a chief. I, you know, I read that book. I studied it. Um, you know, so there's so many books out there that a lot of people aren't diving deep into, you know, strategy and tactics wise. I mean, you know, I think tonight isn't the functional fire company a sponsor. I mean, you know, Scott Thompson's, you know, book is awesome. Chief, you know, Vizguso's uh, books are awesome. But specifically, you know, I, I try to, you know, I try to stay on my freeway and on my freeway, which could be six, seven lanes. It's in a world of like strategy, tactics uh, type of deal. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of other great leadership books and stuff like that on culture and everything. But for me, I, I'm trying to make sure that I'm ready for the worst fire of my career on the 47th hour of a 48 hour shift where the people I'm commanded are tired, exhausted, laziness, complacency, and just wanting to get off and go home is in their mind. And I got to make sure that the slightest deviation or mistake doesn't cost somebody an injury or death. Right. So for me, that's that's committing my time to, um, you know, making sure that strategy and tactics and that I'm not scared to open up a master stream into an occupied building. When I mean occupied, occupied with firefighters. Because right. the tactics book says don't open master streams when somebody's in a building. Well, um, you know, I know a fire where, uh, a firefighter died, um, and, and regardless of rank, because when you start throwing rank and they try to narrow down what it is, and I think that if they would open the master stream up, that he'd still be here today, you know? And it's nothing against that fire department because it's happened other places. So it's not about blaming them. It's about, hey, this happened there. What would I do? And then right. studying a little deeper. So if I'm commanding that fire, I don't fall back to my elementary training, my, my high school training. You know what I mean? Like I'm graduating and hopefully I'm a PhD fire ground commander, not like, you know what I mean? A junior college, you know, fire ground commander. Like right. at 18 years, like I got no damn excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like being able to say, well, you know, shit, I, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm affiliated with UL and FSRI. I got to know the new methods, the new strategy and tactics. I can't say, well, shit, I didn't know about the sulfate attack or, you know, I didn't know about a Bresden nozzle being used here or the bent tip or whatever the case may be. It's not acceptable for me not to know those things. So right. that keeps me busy enough. So um, I'm not going to say any other books. You know, I would just say if it was just one book, I'm going to stick to what I said before and other scraps. Read the blue book, Chief Clark's book. It's on Amazon. Usually you can get it for like 10 bucks, I think, especially, you know, paperback. Right on. Willie Clark, the blue book. Uh, and this is the deal. Uh, I was in uh, Arkansas, you know, Ryan McCormick, you know him. And yeah, he I'm, on yeah first, great guy. The, just saw him at FDIC. Yes, the first in conference, man. And they had these uh, old catalogs of uh, FDIC conferences. And in there was, was William Clark's lectures back in the day. And it was, like, really cool to see that, you know, on the, on the agenda, the schedule. It was the, just really cool. Uh, the auditorium at the fire college, which we used to call it the new fire college, because 
when I went there, it just opened. It moved from like downtown Ocala. Right. But the auditorium is named after him at the Florida State Fire College. It's the, you know, Chief William Clark Auditorium, the main auditorium, uh, because he was the bureau chief there. And he's what put the Florida Fire Service on a map um, when he came down from Maryland, Virginia, which is where he went after he was done uh, in the FDNY. Awesome, man. And that's what most people don't understand about the history of all of it. So, Chief, you're the one who's been exposed to all versions of this, including tonight. But it's the five questions for firefighters. It's been around since the beginning. Uh, The original was the five questions for firefighters. And then it was the next five questions for firefighters. So there was a a debate about what are we going to call it going forward. And so there was a there was a poll with the vigilantes, and there was a lot of votes cast. But ultimately, it comes down to it's called the five Q three, the five questions three, and and that way it can move forward. But the five Q three, no one's ever been asked these questions before. So, and so you didn't and, do these on one ninety nine. Nope. Okay. And we did not throw them at Clark. Clark got the old ones. No one's no one's had these. Like you're the first one. You don't even know about them. Like this is off the cuff. It's the five Q three. So my question well, is, fail. Well, this is the deal: is there's no wrong answers. It's only your opinions. And the well, it sounds like you sounds like you've succumbed to that bullshit leadership crap they feed everybody. No, nope, no. Nope. It's I pass out. I pass out. I pass out the points with the help of the audience. No bullshit. Hundred percent. You earn it with your answers. So my question for you is: Are you ready for the five Q three? Well, I guess, man. Everybody's got the answers to the test, so it's time to take this test. Let's find out. Here it is. Here's the test. Okay. Number one, most important skill that has carried you through your fire service career. My wife's saying tenacity, but um, I don't disagree with that. But, you know, I don't know if they say it's a skill. Um. What's carried me through my career is my obsession, my passion, my love, desire, and to never, ever want to not have the answer or make a decision that is based on popularity or complacency that would cost a civilian their life or a firefighter their life. I've been to fires where I went left and I should have went right. And after I spent X number of minutes searching, the person was to the right, just a few feet. You live with that for the rest of your life. Mm. So I'll say this to answer a question about carrying you through your career. The one biggest problem in American fire service is, is no matter how busy you are, you're limited to only your experience. And the biggest problem in the fire service, if you hadn't experienced it, it don't happen. And that's what I think about at every fire is not being friends with the firefighters I supervise, but whether they got five years or 30 years that I know that they can't get off the line or be in a grocery store without a rope or a hose line, even though the fire's out. Cause if they run out of air, the residual smoke will kill them. I ain't got to read about Macy's from 40 years ago. I don't have to read about the battalion chief in Kansas city or anywhere else, I've read them all. I know. So the one skill is tenacity, obsession, passion, and always be open-minded. And if you ever, ever become a chief that commands fires, 
your number one priority is to eliminate all complacency under those in your command. Well, <laughs> I don't know if people could put more max points in the comments. Uh, yeah, there there is max points for sure. Max points from Andrew White. Max points from Tristan Schultz. Uh, max points. Uh, Frank Lieb said max points. So it's not. It, yeah, there is max points for it. Yes. Uh, thank you for the first time ever answering question number one of the 5Q3. Number two, most, let me make sure I got this right. Most important soft skill in the fire service. May I say that again? Soft skill, not tactics. Once again, you see, you're one of them leadership guys. It's all, it's, all this shit's about, like, touchy-feely good stuff, man. Right. Um, you know, I'm trying to go the other direction. Everybody wants to know about this mustache. I'm, hell, shit, I'm trying to go back to rough stuff, old school stuff. Um, what is the most important soft skill? Soft skill. Amanda came up with this shit. <laughs> it had to. Uh, um, soft skills. Shit, I, man. Uh, people skills. Um, man, I, I'm not sure. I'm still trying to learn people skills. Um, I'm loving. I'm, I'm actually loving the answer so far. So keep keep going. Well, I, I'll just say this, man. Um, it's a journey for me, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to get there. But I, I'm just going to go with uh my favorite thing I've been using the last couple of years from Rod Fish for ten pounds of pressure, a hundred percent of the time, and you, you know, m- more recently, I've learned you can never take back anything you've said or already mm-hmm. said. So, um, you know, I, I'm still working on it personally, professionally, but I can say in recent years at Escambia, I am more likely to stop and think before I just say something. Um, and I am, I will take more time to think about it. I'm one of the people that just, you know what? I'm thinking it. I just say it. I'm not here to, you know, like somebody will sit at their computer. They'll spend an hour before they'll send an email that, that me, I'll type it up in three minutes on my phone. I'm not worried about colons, commas, like all that stuff. Like, let, let me just get a message to them. Right. Um, but I am more so than ever, like trying to figure out how to be, have a little more diplomacy, how to possibly be a little more diplomatic, um, and how to not be as abrasive as you know some some people have told me and i finally bought into it that it's okay to sales pitch your message if you really believe in your message i'm not being a sales pitcher for money or return but like sometimes it's worth it to take the time and invest in it to get people to to be on your team or be a part of you or to, you know, be open to embracing them and making the team bigger. Where in the past, I was just like, shit, man, I ain't get on my bus or not. I don't give a shit. It's leaving. Right. Right. And now I do care more about maybe filling up the bus where there's a waiting list. I'll leave it at that. I love it. Here's the deal. I've never asked these questions before and your response to it really shook me to my core. I'm like, man, maybe that's a really shitty question, Corley. No, 
no, it's just deep. Like, nothing wrong with it. Like, um, no, I don't take it the bad way. But I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. It's like I've never asked the question. But you're like, you're one of them leadership guys. I'm like, no, I just want to know what you thought. But it was funny to me. It was a good response, brother. A hundred percent, a good response. Um, number three, your favorite tradition in the American Fire Service. Oh, that's easy, man. That, like, that's easy. Loading okay. hose. That's it. All hands. I mean, obviously eating meals together, but you will talk about like, I mean, I hope somebody from Escambia is watching right now. When they're loading hose at four o'clock in the morning, I'm watching. Like, there is nothing, nothing. I don't care if it's 28 degrees outside. There's nothing better than an all hands pickup. Everybody at the back of the rig, loading hose. And I, and I giggle, man. And I hope they're listening. Um, they're not on duty today, but engine six and squad three had a fire in front of Pensacola, uh, Harley Davidson a couple months ago. It's like five o'clock in the morning, like right before the sun rises. And, 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 and I'm goofy, man. It wasn't even my battalion. Right. So I, I, I was awake. I, I'd already been up because I had another fire earlier that morning. So I was actually eating two peanut butter and jellies. And, I saw it pop up on the screen at ladder 12 in the morning time. I wasn't in bed. So I run out to my car and I look and I said, shit, man, it's a dump truck. It's Scambia County trash truck on fire. So I jump my car and I pull out of Massachusetts and I call the other battalion chief, battalion three. He answers the phone where he was sitting on a damn shitter. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I'm like jumping his fire. <laughs> and so I get there and it's Charles McGuffey, you know, from CFT team. Man. And it like, we're about to get off duty, man. This is like, this is where, like, being in the job can still be a pain in the ass if you're cheap as a damn sicko like me. Right. So I'm, like, wanting to turn into a drill. Like, let's use the deck gun. Let's reverse out, like, you know, a three-inch hose or whatever. And so they all do it, and they did a great job. And we turn into a pump training. Uh, Haley was um, pumping on a hydrant. And I look over there, and she's running, like, a damn apartment building's burning down. It's a trash truck. Oh, did I tell you they already dumped the trash? The trash truck ain't even on fire. It's a pile of trash in the parking lot. No exposures. And right on. we're like the end of our shift. And I look around and, man, Charles McGuffey just loves the job, man. And I look at him and I'm like, and I can feel the vibe. I'm like, they, they ain't into this like I am. And um, like, they're rever- and I'm looking over there and I'm thinking, I work for the greatest fire department in the world. Even though they're a little frustrated, everybody's doing it right. And I walk over and I felt bad because Lieutenant Bush was kind of like, I think he might've been sick, but, and I walked over and I'm talking to him and I knew he was a little frustrated, but I never felt disrespected. You know what I mean? It was like, right, right. No, what we're going, this is exactly what it is. They're like, we're going to play Chief Ike's game. I know they say that shit behind my back. Yeah. We're just going to play his game or whatever. And I try <laughs> to compensate him and take care right. of him when I can, but the the reality is, and I'm sorry it's taking so long, but there is no other answer. Anybody else cannot get max points. The best culture, the best tradition of fire service is when a fire's out, everybody on a box alarm is loading hose. Now, the right. company officers might not be loading it, but they're standing around. I don't know if Chief Lieb is still uh, on. Hopefully, he'll he'll comment. But he was uh, he was he was 30 seconds ago because he okay. mentioned a comment. But go ahead. So, like. You know, as a chief, and I hope some chiefs are listening, you can get a vibe, man, when they're loading hose. And Chief Lee talked about it, and I'm only sharing this because he talked about it on stage. He didn't just share this 
privately with me. But Chief Lee, after the twin porch fire, um, he he could he could he he saw it in his in, in the faces and the and the people, and there's nobody talking. They're loading hose. And I, I'll never forget when he talked about it, he's teaching a class or whatever. And and I thought about it, but I hadn't thought about it. It was one of the things. And since then, you know, like like, you know, we haven't had that fire, obviously, but like whether they're tired or it's the first night or the second night, I'm now more conscious when they're loading hose, not just excited they're loading hose, but like trying to see how tired they are. Right. You know, like how right. long should my tailboard critique be? Because it's going to probably not be till they're done loading hose or, you know, if it's the first night, what am I going to want them to do the next day or whatever? So, um, you know, Chiefs out there, I'm going to close it out with this. Stop being in a rush to send everybody back to the firehouse. It's unacceptable. Call plenty of resources to divide the workload up, like Chief Clark talks about in his book. And then don't let any company return until the majority of the job's done. Whether it's 24, whether it's 12. I'm going to tell you something. I went to too many fires for too many years where it was five of us, man. You know, um, yeah. for the longest time it was Steve Booth, John Van Meter, um, Jeff Tavener, Brian Hicks, and it was other people that came and go went over a period of time. But like I went to too many fires, man. There's five of us. You know what? And back then I would still have them stretch three, you know, attack lines and catch a hydrant. That shit sucked. Right. Like that's when I really started hating five inch. For one, as a fireman, I caught a hydrant with double lays of two and a half, but the the loading hose man is is that's an hour class in itself for a chief. We're gonna, <laughs> and I hope Kyle Romagus is still on and boot camera battalion chief. We're gonna talk about it, man. Like chiefs and calling resources, releasing resources, and all hands pick up. Loading hose, loading hose, max points, and you got so many max points on that. Not to mention claiming the max points forever, and then. Number four, I love this question. It's the Mount Rushmore of the fire service. According to Kurt Isaacson, the Mount Rushmore of the fire service, you get to pick four people to put on it. I know it's a tough question. I really, I, I'm not even sure I like the question, but I'm throwing it at you. And Kyle Romick said, I'm here till the end, boss. Well, you know, I think about like, you know, two things, a group of people I know around the country. And then I think about a group of people that I went to fires with. Right. You know, right. Um, and I've been spoiled, um, you know, at Escambia because we have so many great firefighters. But, you know, like um, when when you go, you know, and 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 historically I've been to a lot of fires with them, you know, my brain thinks a little different. So like if I went and he's retired, so that way I don't offend nobody to Scambia. But like if I was going to a fire and John Van Meter, he ended up being a lieutenant on squad three. Like if I went to a fire and he, and he was going to be driving and they were first due and his lieutenant was Steve Booth, which is who I'm going to relieve at work in the morning. Um, and he was a guy that I had to make him come out, take his air pack off. Cause he just wouldn't stop. Like he'd be the last person in, but like, you know, so, and this is important that I cover this is too many people walking around saying, ah, oh, he's a great firefighter. She's a great firefighter. Like, you know, my question is, how do you know? Right. Like what fire did you go to with him? So 
you know, even on our job, I don't like people just throwing that around. I'm like, have you been in a building before? Because I've been in fires before where I looked through a thermal imager and I didn't see very good search techniques. You know what I'm saying? Like they were just walking around. They weren't doing an oriented search. Um, you know, so I can't name people because I don't want to offend anybody because we got a lot of great people. But I definitely on my job in the morning, I look at a roster. And when I'm going to a job, I want to know the first do company officer, I want to know their mentality. Will they push it? But do they want to go home to their family? Are they on a suicide mission? Right. Is the first due driver somebody that's got the experience and the cojones if I'm not going to be there quickly to get on a radio like Van Meter would? Van Meter was the guy that was going to get on a radio to like Steve Booth and he was going to be like, hey, Lou, you guys, it's bad. You got to back out, Lou. You got to get out. You got to get out. You know what I mean? And so for me to give like names like that, it has to be like backed up by real world, not theory, but like I seen them. They, you know what I mean? They're going to get it done. They're going to um, make it happen. So, you know, I could give you a list, you know, cause I know what the elite is on my job, right. um, you know, and not everybody likes it and they don't have to like them, but, and, and we have a lot of them, but I'll give you the one on the national level. Cause that's easy. Nobody gets their feelings hurt. Um, and, and I know this cause I've been to a lot of fires with him, training fires, real world fires, um, and mentor him. Uh, Mike Lombardo, hands down, is one of the baddest of baddest guys you've ever seen. But his intellectual intelligence is off the chain, man. Like history, the military. Um, you know, I'm spoiled rotten. The amount of hours I've had one on one with him um, is like just, you know, and I, I'm not the only person, man. Like people on his job, you know, sure. What I mean? sure. Even friends of mine that, that you know, work you know, FDNY, like he is just, he's, he's the one that all the badasses say he's a badass. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, he, he's the guy, Andrew Brassard, um, from Canada would be, um, one of my guys, you know, that I would pick because of his, uh, blacksmith skills, forcible entry search. Um, you'll never find a bigger fire buff that's studying what everybody else, um, you know, is doing Absolutely. In, uh, fire service as a whole. Um, you know, hands down, I mean, I think this is already known, like Bill Gustin would absolutely right. unequivocally. I would have been surprised if he didn't make it. Yeah, uh, you know. he, he, he would be the guy. And, you know, all these guys are reason. Like, you know, um, Lombardo can get up on the steepest roof in the world and he doesn't need ladders or anything like that. But Bill Gustin would be would be all the textbooks with the physical ability and um you know his tactical knowledge. And even though he's a 50-year firefighter, even 40 years ago, he wanted to know what somebody was doing in rural America. Like he's right. he's not closed-minded to his experiences. He's one of the very few people that he's still thinking about the fire he's never been to. Like it's not just he's always looking for a different way, a new way, an <laughs> innovative um way you know, always like, you know, open-minded, um, if you will. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I got to give you four. Um, so you I got to give you one. I, I, you, got three, you got three solids. I'm just and I'm leaving out some of my close friends, you know what I mean, because I can't No, I do. And, and I think this question is kind of unfair. The bigger it's unfair you, for me, man. Like, the I bigger your bench is, yeah. The bigger your bench is, the 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 more difficult the question is to answer. Oh, so that's I, one of my that's one I, of my articles in Firehouse Magazine from last year was depth, depth on the bench. bench. Yes, one hundred percent. 
And no, um, I get it. I get that it puts you in a very awkward position to pick. You know, I I, I understand that, but that doesn't. I'm, mean... I'm going to give you a name. I got it. Okay. I got it. Bob Hall. Um, Chief Hall um, would be the guy. So, you know, Lombardo was a battalion chief, a fire commissioner. Hoff was in the training division, worked on the squad companies, um, you know, went to suburban America, you know, lost his father, you know I mean, at a young age. Um, like to know his background, his experience, his knowledge. Um, you know, you got a damn fireman, a special ops guy, uh, a truckie, engine chief from the training division, all wrapped up into one package. There you go. But you know what all them guys have in common? They all dying to get in bunker gear and get dirty. Love it. There you go. I don't know. That's the first time I've ever asked the question. So and and and, and believe me, asking Kurt Isaacson with his network is a tough way to ask that question. But I will absolutely give Max points um, for it. Uh, and that leads us to the final question of the five Q three, which is: There is heavy fire. There is searchable space. Would you, Kurt Isaacson? Rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Nozzle every time, man. I mean, I'm like, you know, uh, I just, that fire talked about earlier a couple weeks ago where I was on the nozzle (laughs) inside, man, like to be able to just flow that nozzle from clicking into air until I was sucking the last breath is, there's nothing better, man. Like, um, I loved it. Like, even when I was a kid, before I was a junior fireman, man, um, off the red booster line, I put out a lot of fires with a booster line, trash fires, car fires, you know, mobile home fires. They didn't go out real fast. So that was my experience understanding water application. But um, there's there's nothing cool, man. I, I like just being on a garden hose watering the, the ferns. I like I like a garden hose watering the boat, man, on the dock. I, I don't care. I, I just like flowing water, man. <laughs> water is just cool. Like, like. I mean, I just mounted a stainless steel uh, handy reel with a red line with an awesome brass smoothbore off of Amazon on my dock. Um, like, just so I, when I'm watering the boat, I feel like I got a booster line in my hand. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And that officially makes it the first time anyone has ever answered the 5Q3. Officially, the 5Q3, you have, you have officially made it the highest score ever on the 5Q3. You are officially the first person who's ever answered the the five questions for firefighters, the next five questions for firefighters, and the 5Q3. So uh, congratulations on that, Chief Kurt Isaacson. Um, absolutely. If there is any place that people already don't know how to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Reach out to you, book a class, like ask you questions, et cetera. Uh, email, I mean, cftactics at gmail.com cftactics at gmail.com remember if you ever forget you can't find it all you have to do is just do chiefike.com and it takes you to my bio which has you know all the information all the podcasts all the previous scraps you know fit to fight fire brothers in battle my articles from firehouse magazine um we're in there so anytime if you forget that email that's there what i will tell you is I, I don't as much as I used to. Somebody like I get so many messages and emails about you know whatever it's the booster backup or this kind of hose or this, and there's just not enough time in a day, man. And it's it was killing me. I was trying to be everything to everybody, and so not to be rude, but I mean, if thirty people, you know, email me, 
like the amount of, it, 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 even if it, each one takes a minute, like, you know what I mean? It's still, it adds yeah. up. Yes. And yes. so my new thing is, and Dennis is awesome. Dennis, you know, I'd say Dennis is like teaching people via Facebook. Um, I don't have time to like educate you one-on-one. I just don't, man. Like it's, you know, I just don't have the, the time to do it. So you got to read the books. You got to study Clark's book and John Norman's book and Anthony Billow's book and Chief Smith's book and all the other books that are out there and take the classes and go places. And it is frustrating when somebody emails me something and I'm like, that's in my article. I just read like three articles ago in Firehouse Mike. Go read the article. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Um, or, you know, sit in a class or come to the conference uh, type of deal. So I don't mean to be rude. I do try to get back to people. I'll be like, hey, if you email me in a week and I'll put them off. And if I put them off and they still come back to me, eventually I'm like, shit, I got to pay this guy's dues. You know? Right on, right on. Love it. There you go. That's how to get a hold of him. I'm going to read some comments. Uh, Peyton Price said 12 more. Corley, 12 more minutes. 12 more minutes gets us to midnight central time. I'm not even pushing for that. Uh, ask him another ladder question, said Kyle. Small town chief, I love this one. He said, undisputed back-to-back-to-back scrap champion. That is the absolute truth, man, because it is true. Uh, Jay Hillis said 11, count it down. Uh, yeah, no sleepy sleepy. Great job, Ike. Thanks for making this happen. Uh, 100% from Dan Bender. Man, chief. Hey, real quick. Go. Dan Bender is a definition of a professional volunteer fireman. Beautiful. Right definition of one. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. And he's still here, like pushing midnight on a, on a, is this Thursday? I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's a Thursday. What, dude, thank you, chief, uh, for, Hey, all of your support of the scrap. I don't think I could I, I can ever say enough of that. Um between like stuff like this don't happen on accident. You know what I'm saying? That uh, that is pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Um that's you know amazing. What? And how many people are still on here? There's over a hundred still at midnight, like winding down, and there's still a hundred. Well, you know what? Um yeah, they're I begging the, for more time. That's a good point. I, you know, I, I I will say this. You know, Rob uh, Fisher asked that question about what's great about the fire service. Man, like, like the answer is right there. It, regardless, yes. it doesn't matter who's talking. It, it, we're four hours into this, like almost midnight, one o'clock yeah. Eastern. So there's over a hundred people that are looking for me to maybe just say one thing I haven't said for them to put in their toolbox to have to save somebody's life, be better at the job, be inspired. Yes you know, be um, motivated and you, the, the fire service, I think possibly has more than we've ever had. I always say, just get one more, man. The number is growing exponentially today. When I called you, you know, when I asked you, I, I didn't think you would know who he was. I said, do you know who Ed Milet is? Yes. And you were like, yeah. And you know, more and more, like I'm asking people in the fire service more specifically people, you know, they're chiefs or whatever. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm impressed that more and more people, because like I just use John Gordon, the energy bus, you know, just because yeah. a lot of his books and they're easy reads, but like, I used to get disappointed because I was like, Hey, you know, John Gordon is, I don't know who he is. I mean, like, and you know, I just, I think about like, you know, firefighters and I do think we're getting more firefighters that are, taking the time to read, educate, stay motivated in a more, um, you know, diverse realm, if you would, and seeking those things. So 
by no means are, are we in a bad place. We're actually in the best place we've ever been. If you think about UL, FSRI, you think about smooth, like that's not even a debate anymore. Like, yes. you know, Joey Hayes, Jay Hillis, um, you know, Jerry and Andy and Stretch, like salespeople. Like, yeah, that's their job. They got a job to do. But think about, like, and this is for my career, the number of salespeople that are entwined in a positive professional way. And they got a job to do. They got to they gotta have sales, but they're doing it at the highest professional level I've ever seen in my career. And they're doing it. They're supporting training. Yes. And, like, that didn't exist 20, 25, 30 years ago. I can tell you, when I first started going FDIC, and I don't mean this, like, literally, but all salespeople wore suit and ties, man. Right. They didn't even. They just regurgitated what somebody. Talk, they didn't even know the equipment. I could stump a salesperson in the nineties right. at the Fire, Florida Fire Chiefs Conference. I could sales pitch somebody. You know, back fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, I can't find a salesperson now that I can stump. They're educated, man. They're watching the scrap. They're you know, like the game is to a new level, and that's what I think is is completely uh, unbelievable. And I think back to Dennis. And the first time we met with all the hose manufacturers, I mean, they didn't want to meet. I'm telling you, Dennis had to be ruthless. He had to be in their face. And I'll never forget, we go, and I got a picture um, of us, Jay Blake, Dennis, I don't remember who, Eric Tolan was probably there. And we're sitting at FDIC, and I could tell that half of them, I remember one older guy, man. Now, when I say older, that means he looks like he's in the 70s to me. Right, right, right. And he looked like a jerk. And I ain't going to say who he works for, but I was like, that was the old salesperson, right? Right. The new salesperson is not everybody's got to like him, but he was one of the best salespeople in my career. Mac McGarry with Elkhart Brass. Let me tell you something, man, Mac McGarry converted the entire state of Florida to Elkhart. And he did it through a level of relationships with firefighters and understanding because he was a firefighter hose and equipment and that sort of thing i'll tell you a little story um i don't know if he's listening but jay hillis was uh with all american hose and right and like i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna let them come to, to the thing i wasn't gonna let him come but he just kept waiting and he was patient and professional and then i'm finally like all right man i've been putting him off so he comes and Jay was like, man, I'll go to the store. I'll get water for you. He's out there sweating his ass off. It gets hot in August um, at the, you know, water and the fire commerce. Absolutely. Story, short, he gets shit bagged by All-American Hose, which made it easy for me because I was already ready to just be with Key Hose. But Jay was there. And then he goes, you know, and joins Morning Pride. And this isn't even about Jay Hillis. I mean, the story goes back to Blair that I met, you know, in 1997. Um, uh, Clymer, Steve Clymer. You know, he's been selling tools for 40-some years. Uh, used to sell partner saws. I, I got our fire chief in 1997, write a PO. Back then, you wrote POs and purchase order. And we bought our first K-12 partner for Pensacola for ladder uh, 11. Chief Jim Dixon signed it, and Climber was there. I just saw him at FDIC, talked to him for 30 minutes. Man, him and Bill Gustin just went out to dinner. I saw it, like, on Facebook. But Steve Climber, we're talking about a guy I bought a K-12 from him 26 years ago. I'm walking by, I don't even know who he was selling for, like Amicus right. Tools or Hamatro or somebody. But I went out of my way to talk to him because it's a whole new realm, man. And that's that is that that bringing those things together, the, the equipment people, the, su the supplier, 
and a fire service because I used to kid around and say people didn't even know what kind of nozzle they were holding. They hell didn't know what kind of hose they were holding. Hell, guys didn't even know they were riding on a Pierce, you know, Seagrave, E1, uh, American LaFrance. What's American LaFrance, you know? Right, well, right. They, like firefighters now, they know the kind of fire truck. Hell, they know, they're, they're, they understand like specs. Um, and now, uh, Polly Capo, um, that used to be Clearwater, uh, acting chief and, um, Estes Park just texted me day before yesterday and he's like, Hey, what hose does, um, you know, Escambia use? This guy's a fire chief. You know, now he's acting, but sure, like sure. 30 years ago, there wasn't a fire chief in any fire department in the country that cared of what brand model type of hose. And you're going to tell me we're not in better hands doing better. Like nobody even cared. Like they couldn't even tell you the friction loss. They just looked at the, the 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 friction loss card that came out of a hydraulics book based on PVC friction loss, not hose that expands. And then you know, between Dennis Legear, hose manufacturers, a group of people, just hose alone, like it's crazy. And yeah. then think for how long the Quint concept, and everybody thought a Quint had to be this, and like Escambia County, man, like. I'm excited my fire department has decided, hey, yeah, we're going to have a Quint, but it's only going to have a 300-gallon booster tank. Not going to have any LDHOs, no bumper line. It's got one inch and three-quarter cross-link. That's it. One. Boom. One. Some three-inch hose off the back. That three-inch hose is to stretch to another rig so they can pump volume via pressure for an aerial device. That's it. (laughs) I love it, Chief. Chief, I love it. Hey, guys, I tried to help y'all out. I came up with all that shit just to get to midnight so we could say we went to a different day. So uh, I don't know. Hey, we're we're a different day on the East Coast for an hour, but 100% we're there, man. Uh, By the time we sign off, uh, let me let uh, (laughs) – he said all that. I can't even – I can't even – I can't even begin to say thank you so much, Chief, for everything you've done for the scrap since the beginning – um, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You just closed out 200 with a with a powerful, powerful, powerful ramp. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I I talked about this. Scott- done too. She's packing her stuff up, so I know I'm done. Okay, no, no, fair enough. I want to say no, this. No, I'm, she's gonna like work out. I'm gonna go close it out. This man. is important. This is important to me because um, let me see if I can. Yeah, 200. Uh, was a very big deal for me. A very big deal to make it to 200. And Scott Slocum brought it up while we were while we were at um, out there in Pensacola in sitting in the Hilton. And that is there is going to be no 201. Like there's not going to be a scrap 201. 100. percent uh, And I and that's in honor of you doing 100, 150, 200. But a lot of people people who come to the conferences know what 201 means in the in the in the emblem. But plain and simple, uh, the next the next guest up is Mike Lombardo, and I'm proud. I'm proud to have Mike Lombardo on. Oh man, He's- I'm telling you, like that's who I want to listen to. So, like everybody's listening tonight, better make sure they're listening to him, man. Like he is at the top of the mountain, man. He he is at the top of the mountain, and he's going to be two hundred two because there's not going to be a two hundred one. So. Uh, making that announcement here at 200 just b- because it's a big deal and it means a lot to me to make that announcement in in honor of Maurice. So uh, all that being said, everybody, for being involved, 1,333 comments live. 
unbelievable. I don't know if that record will be touched. Uh, challenge accepted. I hope you challenge. Uh, still 100 people after midnight central time, four hours. Is, is it four hours? Yeah, four hours. Wow. Good so Lord, bro. Good Lord, man. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. We're closing out. Thank you. Thanks for trusting me to do four um, scraps. God bless you, man. Keep pushing, and I hope you make it to 400. Hey, brother. I'll see you there. Awesome. See you. Have a good night. I hope the toes stay silent unless it's burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.